This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 155. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Episode 55 continues our look at the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series. This week we are looking at 1987. That's right, we are so tantalisingly close to the end. There is only two episodes after this and then we is done. We are out of here. We are finished this, apart from a little round table, which we will still need to look at. But we're, you know, we're getting there. We're getting there, ladies and gents. Right, uh, I have two pretty amazing guests with me on this show. And I'm very much looking forward to getting into it with them. Now, I know there's a bit of excitement out there because you've all been waiting for him and he is going to be on this episode making his appearance. It is none other than Andy Blockley, coming in very late in the game for 1987. He will be joined by Gary Hill. We have 10 fantastic movies. Uh, I'm not going to say that one or two of them aren't slightly controversial, but we're going to get into them all in depth and then see if we can take those 10 movies, eliminate them down to two, moving forward to the final roundtable episode. So yeah, that's the plans on this particular outing for us, but there's updates aplenty as it stands just now. So this is the first of four episodes out this week. On Thursday, we have Movie Club, the listener reviews for The Last House on the Left. You need to get them into me for Wednesday this week. We are severely lacking reviews for uh, Listener Club. We've had three. That is all. That's pretty poor showing, especially for a classic like The Last House on the Left. So get your finger out and get it sorted. That's coming on Thursday the 30th. Friday the 31st sees the Teapot's five-year anniversary show. It's a mammoth five hours of a lot of nonsense content. And I will throw once again out there a little warning. If you're not into the a lot of the nonsense shenanigans and not the hardcore horror reviews, you might want to skip that one. That one's definitely for the hardcore elite of Teapot's nonsense and not for the, you know, the serious movie review listeners. And then on Sunday this week, we will drop Baz v Horror 42. It's Baz vs. the Wrong Term Franchise Part 3, where we will look at Wrong Term 5 and 6. So there you go. There we are. Tons and tons of episodes. Oh, by the way, next week is another four weeks, uh, another four episode week as well. So just letting you know. Right, uh, let's get out of here and let's get into some more content here. This one's going to be another long one, so strap yourselves in. I'm going to jump out just now. You're going to hear the intro music for the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series. When we come back, I'll introduce you to my guests, Andy Blockley, Gary Hill and myself, coming right up to talk about 1987 right after this. 11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. 
One more story before 12. Get the video show, long live the new flesh! What do you think this is all about? You think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. This is a fucking war! The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. This is God. The missiles are flying. The missiles are flying. Don't you know who I am? Hallelujah. The ice is gonna break! The missiles are flying. Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! Hallelujah. Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! Welcome back, ladies and gents. So we are so tantalisingly close to the end of this decade. But we have another stop on that road. This stop is 1987. Now, people are constantly thinking that each episode on episode we must be getting easier. Because remember, the quality of 80s horror took a dip towards the end. But, ladies and gents, we're still in that Kishti zone right now. 87 ain't no slouch at all. So I am overjoyed to introduce my two guests here. Making his second and final appearance before the round table um, is one uh, one of the collective of Cinema Beef. He is behind... Uh, I've, I can't even remember how many podcasts you have, Gary. All I know is there's many of them. Um, how are you doing, sir? There's so many in development that never come through, so it's kind of hard to say. It's tough being creative when you're, when you're a freaking lazy asshole. Don't, don't, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a real workman, though. I got to give that to you, man. You know. No, that that show comes out. Yeah, two minimum commentaries and sloppy seconds. The movie sequel podcast has returned. So check them out, guys. There we go. Awesome. Also joining me, making his debut this year, the most controversial figure from last year. Was he really? Don't know. He's definitely my friend, and I just love having this guy on the show because sometimes we are so in sync we could be in sync um, and then other times we are so wildly 
on the opposite sides of things that we could be actual frenemies. I don't know. I, I'm still trying to work on the classification as, of course, my very good friend, Andy Blockley. How are you doing, sir? Duncan, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> yes, in fact, the CIA has been making me push What's too many What's the matter? Teapot's got you pushing too many pencils. <laughs> Your Arnie impression's awful. I know. I love it. Scottish. You kind of make Arnie sound like uh, Dick Van Dyke stunt double from Mary Poppins. It's, it's kind That's of what awesome. I was going for. So. It's <laughs> not on then. Yeah, I nailed it. So, Andy, you have returned uh, from, from last year's debacle uh, to join me once again on a series that you were more excited about this one, I think. Even though the 70s is your decade, you were more excited about the 80s. Yeah, 70s is quality, 80s is uh, quantity, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Quality in there as well. I don't think I was that controversial. It was just, oh no, actually, I was thinking it was just tourist trap, but then also it was me slagging off Suspiria, Deep Red. Yeah. A couple of others. Um, But I can't help it. I'm not doing it literally. I know I joked in the group, I'm here to be a contrarian. I'm not. I just, it's just uh, my opinion. uh, I'm sure I'll have some this evening as well that might annoy you, but we'll see. Let's see, oh. I am excited about this. This is a fucking good year. This is a tough year as well, 87. All of, them, all of them since about 84 have become increasingly tough. Yeah. And I thought it would be the other way around. I thought like at the start would just like, when you, I think at the start start of the, the, the kind of contest, there are just such clear, obvious titles. You know, like the, the, the thing is a no brainer. You know what I mean? No one's going to argue against the thing. When we get up to this level here, the margin between certain movies is minuscule and then when you throw on some of that 80s vhs nostalgia it gets pretty difficult if you know what i mean yeah well we will we will see we originally uh, had 15 movies now the reason we have 15 movies i have to explain this in every episode because the assumption is that maybe you've randomly stumbled into this series this might be the first one you're listening to and you might not have a fucking clue what's going on let me explain my brain to you uh, it's a brain that likes to make everyone hurt, uh, it doesn't like anyone, uh, and likes to cause me many hours of editing. Um, so the plan this year was basically to include another guest host, bringing the, the host count to three on each episode, and to shortlist to ten, each of us chose five movies. Now where one person had chose a movie, the other person would try and replace, maybe if they had the same pick with a different movie, um, and thus it gave us a list of 15. From that list of 15, each of us got three guaranteed picks, which meant that no one else could argue with your pick. So that gives us nine. Each of us got three, that gives us nine. The last title we all had to agree on, mostly, in some cases there was a bit of to and fro on, but mostly we had to agree on the final spot, which left five movies that didn't make it. The original list of 15 movies were Predator, Stage Fright, Near Dark, The Gate, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Are you um, gonna do that every time or? Potentially. <laughs> Uh, if the voice holds out, Andy, um, or if you keep on the Fingers call. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Lost Boys, Evil Dead 2, Opera, Hellraiser, Prince of Darkness, Bad Taste, Dolls, Angel Heart, The Monster Squad, and Street Trash. Now, I can tell everyone out here that the five movies that did not make it through were Bad Taste, Dolls, Angel Heart, the Monster Squad and Street Trash. So we get it to Gary first. Having gone through this list 
of 10 movies. Are you comfortable that we made the right 10 choices or is there anything in hindsight you would have swapped? Um, I don't know. <laughs> not really, you know, because there's a lot, there's some stuff in there that I think is genuinely still scary. Like I could watch Dolls right now, and if I was if I was twelve year old me watching that, we I'd be a little freaked out because it's incredibly violent. Um, mm -hmm. Street Trash, King of the Hobos, is as awesome as it is, and how fucking hilarious as it is. It's a uh, not belong in the top ten. Uh, Monster Squad, nostalgia, all over the place. Not a horror film, in my opinion, but it's a great gateway to to, to, to uh, watch horror films. I think, but mm -hmm. again, not there. Bad taste, funny as shit, gross as shit. Not there. Uh, Angel Heart is probably my only exception to, to which would really skirt the issue to, to eliminate one of these in the top ten. I think. Yeah, I, th I, I think. think in any given day, you could maybe argue that Angel Heart is maybe one of the best made movies out of the whole 15. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think me and Andy have spoken about this before. I think what it comes down to is that I think you can make a very compelling case. And we're, there's another movie on this list that you can make the same compelling case for. Um, we'll not get into that because Andy will speak about it later. Uh there, there, you could make a very compelling case that Angel Heart is more a kind of supernatural thriller than it is a horror movie. I would disagree with that. I, I certainly think it is a horror movie and that's why I think it was on my list, originally my list of five. I want to say it was. I might be wrong about that. But I think it wasn't. It's because I've always always viewed that movie as a horror movie. Having reviewed that movie with Mr. Blockley on Podcast Under the Stairs, I can let you know I did get a lot of feedback from people saying never really considered it a horror movie. So it's weird. It's a weird one. Yes. Apparently the devil does not make a horror movie. Um, Mr. Lou, Mr. Mr. Lou Cypher loves his eggs. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Lou, Lou Cypher does love them eggs. Um, so the same question to Andy Blockley. You rattled through the list of 10 as well. Anything here where you're like, yeah, I can maybe swap this one? Yeah, having rewatched The Gate, I'd actually swap that out for Dolls now. Oh, right in right in Gary's baby maker oh, that's okay it ain't hurt my feelings I like both of those movies I think that wasn't didn't the gate well, I don't know if the gate was on my original five I'm not sure I um, can't remember it's so long ago um, and then I'd swap opera out with fucking anything else <laughs> oh mean you're gonna have a throwdown sir um, but mainly I'd, I'd have swapped out opera with Angel Heart because I think that is a really fucking good horror yep. movie yeah, I think uh, on that's maybe, and funnily enough, even though I will throw down with you, I fucking love opera. I think it's Argento, he's like Argento off the rails, and that's you know, like Argento Unplugged. Uh, it's like a series of really weird movies that he started doing. Like, opera is the, the floodgates opening and all weird shit coming out. Like, this is, this is the guy that's about to spill over into the 90s and start giving you, you know, Brad Dourif with a fucking. <laughs> an electric garrote uh, in trauma and then let's not talk about the Stendhal syndrome which scars everyone including his daughter um, but yeah I think in hindsight um, that's the only thing I would change I've, I mean my justification for it I think there's no there's no wiggle room in terms of anyone's comments at all that opera definitely is a horror movie and like I say I just there, there are people that and I shouldn't listen to other people but there are naysayers that come back on the old angel heart as being a bit more of a thriller and I can kind of see that as a kind of dark noir um, 
Hey, man, the Predator is on this list. All bets are off tonight, people. Yep, Predator is on this list. I was going to say it's the most controversial. I would say Predator is an easier sell as a horror movie than Terminator is. Um, and Terminator was well argued uh, at the time. So we, we will see how we get on. Uh, but yeah, that's the only thing I would do. I really like well, having reviewed Angel Heart with you, Andy, maybe about two years ago now. Like Time is flying so fast. Uh, and just kind of reigniting my love for that movie. That movie is fucking great. It's just a great movie. Um, I can make the same argument for Terminator as I can for Halloween. And the same thing with that is that Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Cameron both watched Westworld before they made those movies. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Westworld. Be still my beating heart, Westworld. Um, that means that the five movies uh, that were discounted were Bad Taste Dolls, Angel Heart and Monster Squat and Treat the Screet, Trash, Can't Speak. Uh, so the ten that went through were Predator, Stage Fright, Near Dark, The Gate, Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, Part 3 Warriors! That's just for you, Andy. Uh, <laughs> the Lost Boys. Warn me next time. Every single time I have to pinch my testicle and twist it just a little bit just to get that note. Uh, the Lost Boys, Evil Dead 2, Opera, Hellraiser and Prince of darkness we're going to take our first break ladies and gents when we come back holy shit it's 10 mini reviews of those movies ahead of judgment day that's right judgment day nothing to do with terminator judgment day when we take 10 movies in and come out with two i will be joined by the fantastic andy block right and the incomparable gary hill when i come back after promos for shows that i love we'll be right back ladies and gents right after this are you terrified by real life? Us too! You like horror movies? Us too! Then join Maddie and Andrew, your co-hosts for a new podcast that explores horror in real life and horror in the movies. And all with a fresh and fabulous gay perspective. We are a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Facebook, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. We're Friday the 13th! And welcome back. So it's time to get serious. It's 1987 Predator, Stage Fright, Near Dark, The Gate, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Three Warriors. See, the voice is starting to go. Jesus Christ. Every time. Uh, the Lost Boys, Evil Dead 2, Opera, Hellraiser, and Prince of Darkness are in the docket here. As I've done in all the previous episodes, we will swing the microphone around violently. Uh, stopping at the person that picked this as their three guaranteed to lead the review charges. Um, we're going to swing that one to me first. I feel the need to get this one out the way right fucking now. The reason I feel the need to get out the way right now is I know for a fact one of the people on this show does not like this movie. Um, I'm surprised I didn't make the other hosts list of three and then I had to pick up at the end and, and kind of run with this. Uh, it's a little movie which is a sequel slash remake to an original movie which has already been covered as part of this this here 80s run back in 81. Um, it's a little movie by this guy called Sam Raimi. It's of course The Evil Dead 2. It's produced by Robert Tapper, uh, Alex D. Benetti and Irvin Shapiro, <laughs> written by Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel, based on the characters by Sam Raimi. The movie stars Bruce Campbell, Sarah Berry, Dan Hicks, 
Cassie Wesley and Richard Domier. Uh, the synopsis for this one is listed on the IMDb as the lone survivor of an onslaught of flesh-possessing spirits holds up in a cabin with a group of strangers while the demons continue their attack. Some awesome factoids about this, because I will be splicing in a little bit of the factoids every now and again. Just a little factoid here, a little factoid there. The producers insisted on using different colours of blood to avoid a, the dreaded X rating. This pew, proved futile, as the MPAA gave it an X anyway. So the film was ultimately released unrated. That's right, you show them, Sam Raimi. Tell them to go and fuck themselves. Um, Ash's chainsaw appears to switch hands in one scene. This is because Sam Raimi decided Ash should walk away in the opposite um, direction into a different room in another scene, so he flipped the negative. Oh, what are you doing? Continuity? Continuity, Sam Raimi? Oh, you're killing me here. Um, also, uh, final one, uh, the recap of The Evil Dead 1981 includes a shot where the evil force rushes through the cabin and rams into Ash. When this shot was filmed, Bruce Campbell suffered a broken jaw. Can you imagine breaking that jaw? Uh, where Sam Raimi, who was operating the camera, crashed into him with a bicycle. Uh, or so people were led to believe. This story was concocted by Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell as a gag to see how many people would actually believe it happened. Did you believe it happened? I didn't, because I read that factoid, which disproved it. Well, why but wouldn't I... we believe it happened, though? I don't know. <laughs> it's rubbish. That's <laughs> me going, Duncan, I, 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 I hurt my knee today at work. And then going, not really, I just wanted to see if you believed me. Well, why wouldn't I? Like, it's fucking stuff that happens all the time. Listen to hostility trying to so early. In the huh? recording, the fucking hostility coming from Blockley already. No one can have fun in Blockley's world. I know what's coming, Duncan. <laughs> I do know what's coming. I know you hate this movie. Um, so, yeah, why did I pick it on the list? Because, as much to Andy's dismay, it's a better movie than Evil Dead. Oh. Um, it is, sorry, buddy. Um, it's better acted. It, yeah, it is more comedic. And you hold it against it as if that's a bad thing. I, yeah. I don't. I think the comedy timing in the movie is amazing. I think Bruce Campbell is genuinely a funny guy anyway. I think his, his comedic timing, along with the, all the Three Stooges stuff and the Sam Raimi um, kind of ponchon for throwing a bit of comedy in there, works all to its benefit. I think the visual effects are better. Um, I think the re revised retelling of the story actually works better. Um, and to me, this is the movie that gives us the iconic Ash character. Now, I know you hate that, Andy. You don't like your Bruce Campbell to be iconic and chiseled and have great one-liners. Uh, you don't like him saying the word groovy, which is almost sacrilegious in my mind. Uh, but I do. I think this movie is fucking great. Absolutely great. There is something weirdly, weirdly twisted and maniacal about the scene where he's, you know, like... Give me back my hand. Give me back my hand. And then he literally has to saw it off. And you don't get to see the hands off. No, what you get is the arterial blood spray right up the side of Bruce Campbell. That is the stuff of fucking legend. That's what elevates a movie like this to a new level. I love the stop motion animation of Linda's body coming back, which is kind of funny. Um, but, like, there... There's a scene that haunted me as a kid when I watched this movie, which still kind of sends like chills down my spine. And it's one that's probably played for one of the more comedic effects, but there's just something 
something so dark about it in the background and it's when Bruce Campbell sits in the chair and the chair breaks and then everything starts laughing in the room and then Bruce starts laughing in the room and at first everyone's laughing in the room until you actually hear the pain in his laugh it's the sign of a man going mad and I think Bruce Campbell does it fucking amazing um, Andy Blockley, we will swing it to you because we have to uh, and as much as I want to cut out what you're going to say it would be against the ethos of this show um, why do you hate the Evil Dead 2? it's too goofy man like <laughs> Picture the scene, okay, I watched Evil Dead when I was probably like 14 or 15, I think I got one of my older looking mates to buy it for me, like mm-hmm. on the video shop. I loved it, I just thought it was fucking amazing, I'd never seen anything like it before, I'd never seen that level of gore, it's genuinely creepy, all the weird, you know, like practical effects that really look dated now, but it's a bit like for me with Clash of the Titans with like the Gorgon thing, it makes it look fucking creepier and better, that weird, the weird stop motion shit, I just fell in love with that film. Um, so like obviously found out there was a second one I was like fuck there's another one this is, this is brilliant this is going to be great um, I'm, I'm on board with everything you said about that film apart from like take out all the goofy shit and I'm really loving the film I just I can't it just irritates me and I don't really know what it is because I don't mind goofy humour sometimes like um, I know Mr Vampire didn't make any of the lists but that's <laughs> that's goofy as shit and, yeah. and I love it for it um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't, he, he just annoys me. Like Bruce Campbell, I don't understand all this love for like this iconic Ash thing. I don't get it, to be honest. Like, he just, I just think he's a knob. <laughs> the only time. I think, I think it's maybe up to this point we hadn't really got like a horror hero. Yeah. By this point, you know what I mean? Like someone who was like, it's usually the other way around. It's usually the villain becomes the franchise. And in this movie, we took it the other way. And we said no. Actually, it's not the it's the, it's not the it's not Freddy Krueger, or it's not a Jason or a Michael Myers. We're going to go the other way, and we're going to have this guy who is completely hapless, who's the epitome of an anti-hero, who really is just out for it for himself. Uh, but when shit gets difficult, he will fight back. And for whatever reason, the universe has chose him, of all people, to be their representative to fight the deadites and. I kind of love that. I think it's the inverse of what we're getting, and I think that's what makes it stand out. I can't think of I'm any right other there. franchises where you I get. I try and force myself way. to like it. I watch it every couple of years again and go, "Come on, <laughs> come on!" <laughs> and I get about halfway through, and I, I can't do it. Like the only time I like Three Stooges shit is when Riggs is doing it, when he's doing a drug deal with some Christmas tree. <laughs> so in one scene, one scene in Lethal Weapon. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That on the list. I'm sure that's 1987. Oh, it was the 80s. I just can't remember Chop when. Chop it out. We put that in. We splice that no, in. No, we, we can't. If this was like top 10 Christmas movies of the 80s, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like the weapon could definitely go in. Unfortunately, it's not, Andy. I think yeah, you're... Um, you're, so you're yeah, up then. Um, yeah, Evil Dead, it's just... I, I do appreciate why people like it and there's a lot of stuff that I, I would enjoy in that if, it, if the tone was just similar to the first one to me. Like the first one's a proper horror movie. The second one, like you say, they lab, like they kind of improved the story. Um, you know, the effects. You know, the, the budget's obviously better. You know, it's better acted. There's more characters. You know, there's more um, more people to die. Brilliant. Just just leave the goofiness out of it for me, and I and I really probably enjoy it more than the first one. Which uh, is probably a bit of a shame. Yeah, but this is a conversation. The reason I was so like laughing and joking coming into this is we've had this conversation. I don't know how many times, and I know your opinion, and I know That's why you don't like it. Time, I think, 
Yeah, we've discussed this to 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 death. Um, the one person I've never discussed Evil Dead movies with at all, uh, or even his take on Evil Dead 2, is Gary Hill. Gary, the floor is yours. Thoughts on Evil Dead 2? Um, I like it. Oh, that's all. Not non-planned. No, it's, 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 it's a fun time. Yeah, me on the other hand, my, my, the Three Stooges stuff was force-fed to me by my father, so it's right where I live. You know, the silliness of this movie. I, I always thought that uh, this one was Evil Dead with more of a budget. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as far as like, hey, we didn't have a budget, but now we do have a budget. Let's let's make this moose move around on the wall and shit now. And and, and that's fine, you know. Um, I, I get what Andy's saying about because you know my co-host uh, Jamie Sammons, aka the Jammons, she. Uh, dislikes this movie quite a bit for the same reasons that Andy's talking about. I know just got... loads of people that are of the same opinion of uh, as Andy. I know plenty of people that go the other way, uh, but I know lots of people that, to them, Evil Dead is like almost the holy grail of low-budget horror movies and any attempt to do anything. Although I will say there are moments in Evil Dead that get just as many laughs in it as you know, gags that are played in Evil Dead 2 for me, so... You know how I love them low-budget horror films, Duncan. I was hoping for the year of Toxic Avengers, so I could shoot <laughs> that in the conversation. You know, it was uh, it was it was discussed. To- uh, Toxie was discussed in '81. Yeah. So beautiful. Ah, uh, yeah. Evil Dead Two is a lot of fun. I I, I made a, a little theory about you know because people th- I hear a lot of folks say, well, it's just the same movie, you know, and like as far as the as far as story goes, it's almost the same movie. But I, I had a theory, like towards the end of the, for the at the end of the first one, where he's like got his face down in the water, and he he picks his head up, and he's all you know dead eyed eyed out, and like this is just a continuation of the dead eyes fucking with him, yeah, you know, just making him relive losing his girlfriend all over again, and yada yada yada, you know, both brand new characters. Um, the physical comedy is uh, something that I appreciate in in any movie, and. Like you said, Bruce Campbell put his whole goddamn body in this movie, as far as even breaking break his chin, and I, I can I can appreciate that. But that. That's why Home Alone's so funny. It's it's not it's not Kevin McAllister anymore. It's it's Pesci and Daniel Stern just getting the shit kicked out of him, falling <laughs> over and stuff. That that's what makes it so funny, you know. And that's what gives it continued staying power to watch. And their their resilience and the resilience of Bruce Campbell in this movie is is insane. You know, he had to put his body through so much. And uh, I, I, I'd love to say that without this movie, you wouldn't have stuff like Idle Hands. But then again, The Hand with Michael Caine came before this. Mm-hmm. So you got that going on. As far as like the comical stuff, yeah, you wouldn't have Idle Hands, which is a film I love. If we ever do a 90s series, goddamn, that's got to be on somebody's list. Uh, yep, that's next year, Gary. <laughs> we're, doing the, we're doing the 90s next year, my friend. And I dare say when 1999 crops up, Idle Hands will definitely be in the mix. Um. Yeah, and all the all the silliness that took a lot from Evil Dead too, and uh, I think that thing sharpens his his, his fingernails with a pencil sharpener in that movie, which yeah. is kind of <laughs> hilarious. Uh, yeah, apart from Bruce, I gotta give the the MVP to this movie to, to Ted Raimi because uh, I, I can just imagine the story of his brothers just saying, "Ted, now this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna put all this latex on you, full on rubber tits, and you're just yep. gonna walk around saying." Henrietta loves you and shit like that, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and just make it sell it to him, just like that. I think Ted's the whipping boy for most of 
his brother's films. And I think he takes it in stride quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that, that stuff with Henrietta is amazing. The, the, the stop motion stuff with, with the what Henrietta turns into, the, the, the skull creature. You know, I'll spider your soul, I'll spider your soul. Uh, that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the, 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 the cartoon stuff or like the hand or like the, what was it? Was it the hand or no, an eyeball comes flying through here and lands in the girl's mouth. Mm-hmm. It's improbable, but it's it's so fucking cartoony that I gotta love it. It's I, I see other people folks argument about like, oh, it's, this this isn't really a horror film anymore, yada yada yada. But I have fun with it, so fuck off just a little bit, please, just a little <laughs> bit. I, I think I think to me, The Evil Dead is one of those rare movies that I, I well, The Evil Dead too, sorry, is one of those rare movies where we talk about horror comedy. I think the balance is spot on. Um, like I say, I can see Andy's point 100%. If this is, if the movie that brought you to the series is, you know, Evil Dead, then Evil Dead 2 is a marked shift change in tone. Um, to me, the movie that brought me to the series was Evil Dead 2. I saw Evil Dead 2 before I saw Evil Dead. So um, I'm curious, how, how do you feel about Army of Darkness, Andy? I hate it even more. (laughs) The goofiness literally goes off the fucking scale to the point where I can't can't get through that movie. I remember watching the trailer for it and thinking it looks incredible when I was like like younger. And then I think I can't remember how long it was now I watched the Army of Darkness. Probably the last time I watched it was a good start three or four years ago. Again, it's one of them ones I'll give it another go in a few years' time. But no, like... It, it like the goofy level for me is un- it's unwatchable at that point. I just remember how happy he was when Baz said he hated it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Fuck right, thank good." It's not just me then. <laughs> and Baz didn't, he didn't like any of them, did he? Uh, no, 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 that's not true. He, uh, his favorite overall was the remake. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah, because that's when, that's when I did, didn't it? With uh, when we did the reviews. But yeah, no, his favorite uh, overall was the remake. Three, like I don't think he was that enamored with. Uh, two me, was uh, two was the one that he tolerated. Um, yeah, yeah. One was too low budget for me. Couldn't get into it at all. He just thought it was bad. Um, and three was too goofy for me. Couldn't get into it either. So. Oh yeah, I remember the remake because I was his mentor on that one, and uh, yeah. well, I, I showed that to a mate about three months ago who'd never seen it, and he was fucking blown away by how good that remake is. That remake is legit good, and yeah. we will always hold out hope. I know Fede Alvarez is, has teased that one of his next two projects will either be um, Evil Dead Two. Because uh, the TV show and all that's finished, I think any any blockers to to him creating that are, are now removed. Or um, don't breathe to. And to be honest, I would watch either one of those movies because I thought both of those movies were really good. So although my heart always lies with Evil Dead, um, give it to give it to James Gunn. He needs a job, people. Okay, you know. Yeah, <laughs> let's not go down that road. And that's a conversation for another time. Um, and I think people will be surprised with my opinions on it. Um, and I won't say any more than that. Maybe at the break. Maybe we'll have a chat at the break. Uh, so yeah, so there we go. That's Evil Dead 2 out the way. First one down, ladies and gents. Heavy hitter. Or is it? Because the next movie we're going to discuss was um, selected by Mr. Gary Hill. Um, the reason it was selected by Gary Hill is he still believes. Um, this is The Lost Boys. Oh my god, some people would argue maybe the inferior vampire movie on this list. I'm just gonna step back while that bomb goes off. Uh, oh, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like 
<laughs> this one is directed by Joel Schumacher, produced by Harvey Bernard, uh, screenplay by Janice Fisher, James Jeramis, um, or Jeremias, uh, and Jeffrey Boam. Um, story by Janice Fisher, uh, James Jeremias. The movie stars Corey Feldman, Jimmy Gertz, Corey Haim, mm. <laughs> easy now, uh, Edward Herman, uh, Bar Hughes, Jason Patrick, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and Diane West. Synopsis for this one. After moving to a new town, two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires. Gary Hill, kick us off. Uh, I know you've just spoke at length about Evil Dead 2, but that was just warming you up for this discussion here. Why the Lost Boys? Well, the hmm was uh, the Jamie Gertz boner. Pop yep. it out, probably. I don't know. But she... <laughs> She's, she's still good looking today, people, and she's a, she's a dream in this movie. But uh, the Lost Boys, I've ruined more steak knives from my home, just going outside as a small child, just carving up bits of wood in the yard with those <laughs> steak knives, you know, mm -hmm. thinking vampires are gonna come to the ghetto or something. But um, it didn't happen or anything. I was, you know, wishing and hoping though. But um, the Lost Boys had a lot to do with that. We used to have a video store in town that uh, be able to rent five videos. For five days for five dollars it was the perfect summertime treat and uh the lost boys was in that mix of five quite a bit um why because uh i'd say this is the most mtv vampire film ever made so mm. at like seven or eight years old this kind of hit me where i live you know fresh young cast you know some people you know from other things if you've seen stuff uh a couple of them were in uh, yeah, Jason Patrick and Jamie Gertz were in Solar Babies together. I watched that as a kid too, so that was a, a through line for me. Um, I, I think uh, Keeper Sutherland has always been an actor that I thought has been very charismatic in films. Uh, this is no upset, no, no, no obsession, no exception. You know, no, Jamie Gertz is the obsession, she still kind of is. <laughs> um, his group of uh cool vampires were, were pretty great. I, I always thought Billy Worth was great in a lot of things. Uh, look him up. He's probably been in something you've seen in the 80s, early 90s. Alex Winter, of course, uh, is Bill S. Preston Esquire to, to, to most folks. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I think my lead... Corey Feldman doing stuff with the Frog Brothers is just magical. I, I love... I love um, you know, he's been doing, he does that voice all the time now, which is kind of strange. I think that's why I didn't like those Lost Boys sequels so much, is that Corey Feldman was still, still doing that voice he was doing when he was 16 years old. I mean, 16 years old, and mm -hmm. it was just really weird. It sounded like that gruff kid that didn't quite hit puberty yet, and still just doing that voice. I was like, The, the no. voice, like, if you bunk off school and get you and pretend you want your parents ringing into the teacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't yes, need that to voice. do that when you're an adult. You can knock it on the head now. You should have your own adult voice. You know, put it on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's little scenes in here, like the the campfire scene where, where they're gonna they, they kill all the the, the people and get at, at, at the campsite. And I didn't realize how bloody it was till like the, the this this viewing just to see how how bizarre and like. I'm sure yeah, Joel Schumacher had to cut quite a bit out of that scene just to get that R rating going on. Um, it's just a great ensemble, and it works really well in, in the setting it's at, be, being California and 
Grandpa is really great. I, I love them since Tron, and I love them in many more things. Uh, Bernard Herman, who plays Max in the film, I, who I've met before, that has talked to me about many things he's been in, like Overboard and My Boyfriend's Back, and and he's just was a great treasure and a great gentleman, and he's just no exception in this movie, you know, where he just makes that turn from milk toast uh, video store owner to head vampire and like one chair to the face and I, I love I love it I love everything about it, the comic book aspect of it uh I mentioned the the, the vampires is not a I think one thing is it's very minimal the, the vampires in this film there's only a few so it's not like oh here's a whole bunch of vampires and here's these showcase vampires no you only had the the, the six including Max and, and Michael eventually at the end and uh I just think it's a it's a perfect uh, '80s movie. I know Bo Ransdell hates it too, but uh, somebody <laughs> else thinks. Yeah, Bo Ransdell does have an irrational hatred of this movie. I don't think you're going to get much hatred on this episode um, at all. I think when we swing it to to Andy Blockley um, and I ask uh, "Crying Little Sister," um, I think Andy Andy will be right with us. Um, Andy, thoughts on the Lost Boys? 70s movies classy right i think we can all agree timeless yeah. mm-hmm. they don't try to be of the era i don't think they just like a buddhist monk they just they're in the moment present <laughs> they just they are they just be the 70s and then we get to the 80s and it's literally like they're going right we've got to be 80s as fuck how <laughs> how, how much how 80s can we be we've got to be fucking 80s is humanly possible let's date stamp this motherfucker right into the 80s giant clothes um, i don't know who was dressing corey Haim in this movie right you know you know when someone goes on like an incredible weight loss journey and they lose like a hundred pounds and then they hold up their old clothes <laughs> like next to themselves mm-hmm. corey Haim looks like he's wearing that shirt that he used to wear when he was like a hundred pounds heavier. Yeah, it looks like Tom Hanks at the end of Big. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? So you got that, um, the absurd haircuts, bodybuilder miming on a saxophone surrounded by yes. fire. Whoa, whoa, ain't no miming here. He still believes, you better believe too. Um, and now he's got a song he calls, he still still believes, so he yeah. believes twice. He's got an no. album coming out. He's got an album coming out and I'm fucking gonna buy that motherfucker. I'm buying it, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, but the seventies, you know, the, the, it's it's weird because the 70s, it seems so organic, like it just was the 70s and like people just kind of doing their thing. And then the 80s almost seems so forced to like looking back, doesn't it? Almost like, like, you know, like the villain's got to have this insane mullet, got to have that. But how fucking cool does he look? I don't understand how Kiefer Sutherland pulls it off. Mm-hmm. He looks fucking awesome with that mullet. Um, yeah, I mean, the cheese factor in this is like a fucking vegan nightmare, isn't it? It's, there's so much cheese. <laughs> like, they bought it in, in a cement mixer and just kind of dumped it all over the place. But I fucking love it, man. Like, I enjoy this film. And I, it's weird because I've had it on Blu-ray for ages. I like, didn't get around to watching it. And then I thought, right, I can finally get around to watching that. And I'd not seen it for years. And I kind of thought, I don't know if I enjoy this film or not. Mm-hmm. And I did have so much fun watching it this time around. Like, the soundtrack is 
probably one of my favorite soundtracks ever. I've actually got it in my fucking yeah. car. It's, it's, <laughs> one of, it's one of the best, it's not only one of the best soundtracks, but most importantly, it's one of the best 80s soundtracks to a film. Yeah, like and the reason that I do that more importantly thing is that's where it really counts because arguably the best soundtracks to movies uh, came out in the 80s. Yeah. Most of them. That, 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 that Roger Daltrey, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me cover is one of the best. Good man, the sax one, the one that sounds like David Bowie, that's a fucking good one as well. Like, yeah, it's just awesome. There's only like 11 tracks, but yeah, that's the that's soundtrack I listen to like a couple of times a month probably. And uh, I think you've got to be in the mood for it. I think the, the level of 80s cheese is it's piled on so fucking thick. I think it, on a different day, I might just think, oh, I can't fucking deal with this today. But in the right mood, this is a, this is a fucking good vampire film. Obviously, chalk and cheese compared to the one that we're going to talk about later. Um, mm -hmm. Don't think this is the superior vampire film out of the two, but it really is a very good, fun movie to watch. And uh, I know, I think Gav uh, from the podcast on Haunted Hill showed it to his young daughter like the other week, and she fucking loved it. And I think it is one of them ones you can kind of, it's, it is kind of timeless because it's almost like a period piece. Like if someone did an 80s movie today set in the 80s, that's what they'd have, isn't it? They'd have those haircuts, those clothes, those you know, the beefcake with the saxophone. So it's almost like, even though it's painfully eighties, it's such a time like it's almost like it's a time capsule of a movie. And in that respect, it's uh, I think it really works. Yeah, I think I I totally agree with everything that's been said. Uh, this is a movie that I've seen more times than I could ever count. This one was like a regular viewing as soon as we were able to like copy films <laughs> and I, I believe that the the statute of limitations of talking about copying vhs is long since passed uh, but as soon as we had the ability to copy the lost boys from the vhs rental into a, a home uh vhs this movie was played until it didn't play anymore um, and let me tell you right if you um if you play a drinking game where you have a drink every time the word michael is spoken <laughs> you're dead you're literally dead about 20 minutes in. <laughs> Listen here, Michael. You call him um, the number. Yeah. Early noodles, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Yes, yeah, just to, to me, there's there are certain movies that imprint themselves on you at the right time um, that become like an instant time capsule, a window right back to what it was like the first time you watched it. And Lost Boys is like that for me. Um, every single time I watch it, I've, I've said this about a couple of movies thus far on the recordings, I think that speaks to how much the 80s really were my informative years of horror because this is where my love was all burst out of and a lot of the movies uh, that I now appreciate, yeah, are definitely older uh, and certainly in the, like in the 70s realm, but yeah, this, this, was, this was me at home eating popcorn watching The Lost Boys and that was a regular occurrence and it's something it's a movie I will never tire of uh, even though I can pretty much quote it inside out and almost backwards uh, it's a movie that I will never ever tire of and I think that is maybe to its credit I, do, I don't know man, I, Bo's the only person I know that doesn't like The Lost Boys and Bo can't give me a good reason for not liking it gives me the Bo reason but the Bo reason isn't a good reason for not liking The Lost Boys so yeah it's, it's, it's a great movie and I think Gary you're right I think this one is you can start to see the massive impact of what would be MTV on on cinema in general it's all kind of being birthed through The Lost Boys through the fashion through the music 
Uh, quick cuts, tons of quick cuts in this movie. Um, and yeah, it builds up to a really satisfying conclusion. The Frog Brothers are amazing. Um, yeah, it, it's just great. Even even down to the, the, the kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, kind of rip off a of Salem's Lot or nod to Salem's Lot uh, with Michael flying works really well for me. So, like, all that stuff. It's just great. I, I think it's great. I, I can't say enough good things about it. So, well, uh, with, let me tell you, oh, at, the, at the end of August, I'm being in the same room. It's Lou Diamond Phillips and Keep Sutherland. I don't know, I'm gonna act. I'm gonna tell you the absolute truth right now. It's it's uh, it's gonna be crazy. <laughs> right, let's swing it. Let's swing it from the Lost Boys uh, to one of Andy's picks. Um, this one, I was so excited uh, when Andy picked this one, mostly because I think once again this is a. There's a lot of these 80, 80s movies that I've been doing thus far that have had this sentence come up with. When me and Andy reviewed this for podcast under the stairs, that's happened a lot. <laughs> I didn't realise we'd covered so many 80s movies, man. Um, but yeah. a little movie called Stage Fright is always going to make me happy. This is the directorial debut of a guy who I think is maybe, well, I was maybe one of the most exciting prospects um, in European horror cinema and Michel Suave. Uh, this guy here had basically trained at the foot of Argento, um, had worked on a ton of different projects with uh, like um, Lamberto Bava and then Dario Argento. They had basically all come off doing Demons together and then they, you know, they kind of go off do their own things. Argento goes to do Opera, which is a movie we'll discuss later on. And Michelle Suave goes and does Stage Fright, aka Stage Fright Aquarius, depending on what territory you're in. Um, and this one is a debut. A movie to me is the exciting burst of what you want from a genre that was dying. I mean, it, a, Italian horror cinema was on the dim swing at this point. Demons was like the last great hurrah, so to speak. Uh, and then this exciting young prospect comes out and starts doing his funky stuff um, and then culminates with one of the best movies in the 1990s. And that, that, that one to me, when we come to talk about Cemetery Man next year, be prepared me for me to go all in on that one because I genuinely think it's one of the best in the entire decade. Um, but let's let's swing it back. Stage fright, directed by Michelle Suave, produced by a couple of guys whose names I won't pronounce. Uh, the movie written by on, Big right. George Eastman. All right, you want it? All right. Uh, Artisti Massa Sayesi and Donatella Donna uh, Donati. I think that's yep, how you pronounce perfect. it. Thanks, Andy. Um, <laughs> written <stop>. by <laughs> written by George Eastman. Oh yeah, that's right, Big George, uh, under the alias Lou Cooper, which is also an amazing name. Um, and Sheila Goldberg. The movie stars David Brandon, Barbara Kasipsi. Um The music is by Simon Boswell. Um, and some other folks in there as well. Synopsis for this one is a group of stage actors lock themselves in a theatre for the rehearsal of an upcoming musical production, unaware that an escaped psychopath has sneaked into the theatre with them. Andy Blockley, why did you pick Stage Fright? Well, obviously not a big fan of Italian cinema as a rule. Um, really? There are no, the odd what, exceptions what? to that rule. Well, I love my seat. I wasn't really Oh, oh, hard facts. I'm not ready for this. I love me some demons. Okay, I love me some zombie flesh eaters. I like the Beyond. There are a few in there that I do really enjoy. Stage fright is probably my favourite 80s slasher. Wow. 
Um, I love the setup. I love me a mental patient escape setup. That's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, for, for me, I, there's just something about that that creeped me out as a kid um, and, and still does. I'm loving that setup. I mean, Halloween is my favorite horror movie of all time, obviously, you know, that's kind of the. Uh, the, the it's that Rob Zombie thing. direction every time, isn't it, Andy? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that the, the setup of that is great. Um, the fact that they're locked in is amazing. That claustrophobia, they can't get out of there. Um, I mean, the scene that creeped me out and, and kind of still does is that thing where they don't, where he's, he's got the owl mask on, he comes onto the stage and the director's shouting at him to kill the girl, obviously unaware that it's not, he's, you know, it's not the actor. It's the psychopath dressed as the actor, so he can, you know, he's killing her in front of everyone, and he's getting, you know, he's egging him on, going, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Like, where's the fucking, what are you doing with the knife, though, and all that kind of thing. Like that, I think, is so effective. I've not really seen anything like that since. Um, yeah, the acting's a bit of shit. Obviously, it's going to be, um, but I can, on this occasion, overlook it just because it, the atmosphere is. It, it's such a great setup that they, I'm, I'm kind of on board, or I'm, I'm on board. I can ignore the bad acting. I think the gore's incredible. Some really like mental stuff. I remember I watched this as a kid around a mate's house and I had to go home like for my tea or something. And I was like kind of half really upset that I was going to miss the rest of the film and then almost kind of relieved because I didn't really want to see any more. I think the bit that I um, went home at is where he drills him through the back and it sucks his t-shirt in like through his stomach. Mm-hmm. It's fucking wicked. Like you don't get that those kind of like you know, creative kills are the kind of thing you like you seek out that's the kind of, you know, they're the reason I watch these kind of films to seek out those kind of really awesome kills and sometimes they end up in a film where kind of the awesome kills are the only good thing about it opera coming up uh, <laughs> where, <laughs> where is this one this has got the great kills and it's just a really enjoyable kind of still scary to the to this day um 80s slasher and uh, for me yeah it had to be on the list of scenes I saw in 1987 I thought it's, it's got to be stage fright there we go compelling case compelling case swing it over to Gary Hill uh, first off uh, a kick ass mask for this killer to have I mean I always thought owls were super imposing as it is as far as the creature goes but the fact that you get this guy running around in this freaking owl mask that's part of the show, like like blending in, like nobody will suspect the star of the show. And then of course you find out that he's killing everybody. And um, quick question: Did I did I miss the scene where he bisects that girl? Is that did I miss that scene? Because I didn't think I'd seen that scene. And the also, movie? At, at, at the end of the movie where they got them all set up on stage, the dead bodies. I see like her torso sitting on the stage. Yeah, I don't think you see it happen. I'm not sure. No, I think... I, the, the, the cut that I've got of it doesn't show you, but the, it could very well be in another get cut. get cut in half with a chainsaw and he pulls him up by the arms and just the torso comes up. That's right, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think it's... I can't remember if, yeah, if that's the girl or not. Yeah, right. I mean, that setup at the end is amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's just so fucking creepy. Like, the harmony... I mean, they, they, they ripped that off Dexter, didn't they, season seven, with, like, the half mannequin, half corpse. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's fantastic. Yeah, I like that. It's been it's been done a thousand times. Mental mental patient escapes from the the mental house and comes to kill somebody. But like like uh, Andy said, you know the fact that they lock themselves in because they're gonna get this show right. Yeah, that kind of deal. I almost wanted like the crazy director because you, know, you, you gotta have the ascot. He he, he, was, he was sporting the ascot. <laughs> this director. All right, we got three actors left, and that's not bad. Let's. 
let's get a show out of these three actors. But he, <laughs> he wasn't doing that. He was actually fearing for his life, obviously. I, I think one of the big things that this film, um, against it, and it, it's not that it's a bad film. I had a good time watching it. The first time watching me is that the two best kills happen way too early. If that, that means anything to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl gets the pickaxe in the mouth, which fucking looks amazing still. Oh, that's good, yeah. Man, just shows everything. And then, of course, the one he mentioned um, with the drill going through the door and then pull at the forest pulling the, pulling the shirt off. That, that was pretty awesome, too. They had some great, pretty brutal stuff later on, too, but those two kills happen early, and they, they, they kind of not put her out, but they're just not as good as those first two kills. And that's that's not anything detrimental to the film, but you know, you almost wanted like there to be like a secret red herring in there, and then that thing happens at the end that I hate. After the the, the killer is supposedly dead, but he's not dead. She's forgotten her watch, and all of a sudden, he's sitting there for eons and eons, and then her black savior shoots him in the head, and then he just keeps saying. See that did that? Right between the eyes. Right between the eyes. I was like, no, it's dumb, you know. And in fairness, like Michelle Suave put that in there to highlight. Always in interviews, anyway, he said he put that in there to highlight the fact that all slasher movies end with the killer coming back. Yeah, but it happens after you take the killer down. You get that much like a scream. This is where the point where the killer comes back for one last scare. You know. Yeah, that should have happened then. This is just like, like the false ending. Like, yep. yeah, he's dead. This is. This, I'm gonna talk about an opera again later on when we do that. <laughs> you know, the false ending. It's, it's so ridiculous. But this, this, this movie is ridiculous as it is. But it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a good slasher. But like I said, they, 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 they nut way too early, and then they have to get, they have to build it up back up again, and. It doesn't quite get there for me in the end, as far as as good as those kills were. Very nice, very nice. Um, I'm I'm kind of with Andy on this one. In fact, I'm maybe a little bit more than Andy in this one. I'll fucking love this movie. I think it is the, the triple threat of what makes um, Italian horror cinema, specifically in the eighties, just like in my opinion, just that little level better than a lot of what you're seeing elsewhere um, and that atmosphere is tearing out of this movie I love the setting I love the, just the, the whole atmosphere of the movie works incredible uh, the score is also amazing to this movie like the soundtrack yeah, is oh, absolutely phenomenal and just the bonkers over the top nonsense that the story is yes you have seen this the, the, the killer escapes from the mental asylum you know, movie a million times. You have never seen it done like stage fright, and like you know what I mean, that's that is the triple threat of what makes Italian cinema amazing. Is that they are not scared to just go bonkers. They're not scared to really just push things to the next level. They're not scared to get silly. To be honest, the ending of this movie is kind of silly, but they're not scared to do that. Um, if anything, they're actively doing that, and that's just part of their culture. All their movies have that. When it comes to the end, you push it to you push it to something. You give the people a talking point, good or bad, that that's what they're going to be talking about when the when the, the credits come up at the end. And um, like I say, Michelle Suave learned at the the foot of the the masters um, in the eighties, and 
it is no surprise to me that there are nods to tons of movies uh, that he had either worked on or his mentors had worked on. Um, to me, that it, you know, it's, there's no no coincidence that this movie is set in you know a performance theater when the previous movie that was Demons, which was set in a movie theater. You know, there's there's nods to specific nods in here directly to Tenebrae, which was really where he first started working with Argento. Um, so you're getting all that in here as well. Um, I I just I think. To me, what you get is just this wonderful uh, amalgamation of of kind of carefully crafted nods to older Italian horror movies, but a very unique sounding voice. And Suave goes on from this one to do movies like The Sect and The Church, both fucking great movies, but definitely both, both of them heading towards a kind of more gothic, uh, supernatural element. Um, and then, like I say, swings in with Cemetery Man, which... To me, put some more than just on the map. I, th- I, I think this movie is great. Uh, I will echo what Andy said that the acting is not great, but um, I can rattle off about 10, 15 slasher movies just off the top of my head, uh, which came out in the 80s that are American and have worse acting than this. So, um, yeah. Totally. yeah. So, I, you know, I, I can't hold it too much to that. Um, and knowing how the, you know, the, the system worked in Italy about basically shooting movies with no sound and then doing it post. Um, I think they handle it really well. The, the the dubbing in this movie is actually not that bad compared to some other movies. So, and I'm not looking at opera. Um, some of it you can't actually tell it's dubbed at all. Oh, well, I didn't yeah. realise it was to be honest because some of it is actually pretty spot on. Um, yep. It's weird just watching it now. I told you I've, this is just. I always have a film on in the background when I'm doing a podcast, just on mute, and I'm watching the, literally the scene now where he's killing the girl on stage, and I just think it's fucking brilliant, isn't it? Like the killer probably thought, oh, I thought I was going to meet with at least some resistance from these people, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they're egging me on. This is amazing. But now there's just something really fucking creepy about it. I think there's genuine tension in this film, and there's not many slashes now that you can watch as an adult. And they and they maintain the level of tension where the genuinely creepy moments of you know where you feel tense. And there's you know there's that scene, the scenes where he's just appearing behind people and then he's gone. Um, there's the scene in the shower where the girl she's dead in the shower. Her friends in the next cubicle, and her friends having to keep really quiet and kind of hoping her friend doesn't you know tell her tell the killer that she's in there to kind of you know to to stop him you know going further with her and killing you know stabbing her again. Really fucking good stuff, and uh, I think aside from Halloween, yeah, this this is probably I'd say it's my second favourite slasher of all time. It's, it's very, it's it's very brutal, but like I said, with that ending, I almost wish that the, the black guy—I forget his name, Willie—I think his name Willie yeah, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I almost wish that he would have crept up behind Willie, slashed Willie's throat, and then killed the girl too. Just to give me a more satisfying ending with that. I, ending. I think the fuck you ending would have definitely worked really well on this film, yeah. I agree. Let, let the bad guy win with that ending. That, that's my only real bitch about the film. And I can bitch about a lot of films like that, that I really enjoyed all the way through, all the way through, and then the last five minutes, shit the bed, and then I just don't like the movie after that that much. And you know what? And, and finish the movie, have the, have the closing shot of the movie, his big, like, uh, tapestry of dead people on the stage, and that's that's the production, that's the show. Mm, that's good stuff. Finish that's on good. that shot. And, uh, that's, a, that's a good floor show right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, there we go. Stage fright. Stage fright. Andy Blockley coming in hot. Um, I see your stage fright, and I raise this competition. A little puzzle box. 
Oh. I got told earlier on that when I opened this puzzle box, I opened the gateway to a different world, a world of pain and pleasure. Um, it is of course Hellraiser. It's right here, legit. Um, and I, what I loved about this is like Andy didn't put on his one and he's like that. I'm not putting on it because I want to give you the satisfaction of putting it on the list. And I welled up a little bit because that's why I love Andy Blockley. He knows, <laughs> he knows when to give me my moment. Right, and this was my moment. I was like, "Yes, I will put fucking Hellraiser on this motherfucking list." Of course, Go I will. Can shine, sir. Shine. Oh, what can I say about this movie that I haven't said about this movie a million times on podcasts under the stairs? Um, it's directed by Clive Barker, produced by Christopher Fig. Screenplay, uh, screenplay is by Clive Barker, based on the Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, starring Andrew Robinson, Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence. The synopsis for this one is an unfaithful wife encounters the zombie of her dead lover. The demonic Cenobites are pursuing him after he escaped their sadomasochistic underworld. I'm struggling to speak now because all that dream warriors! Uh, stop. That's still working though, I don't know why that's... We're not even on that one yet. We're getting there, we're getting there. Um, yeah, Hellraiser is legit fucking amazing. It, like, I seldom swing out the word masterclass. Hellraiser is a masterclass of horror. I mean, it is, I've told the story before. As a kid, I was allowed to pretty much pick whatever I wanted at the video store. And I would pick some ridiculous titles. Some like proper movies that I should not have been watching that my dad just wasn't paying attention to. And my hand would always stop before reaching Hellraiser and kind of recoil because there was just something about that cover. Just something that screamed to me, adult film not for children's eyes um, and it, it took me years to pull the trigger on this one and when I did it blew my fucking mind I didn't understand half of what was going on in it a lot of the sexual con uh, content in it just didn't make sense to me as like a young teenager most of it did but a lot of the kind of undertones um, in the movie just didn't make sense at all um, this idea of pain and pleasure being indivisible, as they mentioned in the movie, it just didn't like I couldn't I couldn't grasp that. Uh, and it's a movie that, on every single viewing, I appreciate it more and more. Uh, Clyde Barker only made this movie because he was horrified by Rawhead Rex, which is a movie that sadly we are not discussing for some reason in this age run. I don't know why that never made it through. Because uh, I would have loved me some chat about some Rawhead Rex. Um, Priest gets peed on in that movie, uh, but yeah, like he he was basically did the the Stephen King thing from Maximum Overdrive, you know, where if you want to do a movie right, you gotta do it yourself. Yeah, except Clive Barker actually did do it right, um, and for all Maximum Overdrive is a is a good time, and I can laugh and have goofy fun with that movie. I don't laugh when I'm watching Hellraiser. I recoil in terror. It's a movie that still works on so many levels. I think its message is almost timeless. You're like Andy's obviously talking earlier on about movies that instantly date, and there, I mean, Julia's fashion sense instantly dates this movie, if you know what I mean. Um, and with that, there's a really timeless quality about the movie. It's not really clear where the movie's actually set or what time period we're living in. I think that is ballsy considering everything else that was coming out at the time. I think Clive Barker literally put his hellbound heart into this movie. Um, and as a debut movie goes, I mean, this is one of the best, I think. 
Um, the special effects are phenomenal. Uh, they really struck gold with Doug Bradley. Um, especially in the early movies before he became a bit of a parody of himself the one lines in this you know no no tears child it's a waste of good suffering you know all that are just they send fucking chills down my spine I've seen this movie loads I saw it um, as it was doing it's uh, it's run last year um, and I think it was 32mm on the big screen and even in its grainy grittiness, and I've got this as a, a 2K, I think you even may have this as a 4K restoration now. Um, even with a cleaned up version, seeing it as gritty, I still marvel at just the beauty and horror that Clive Barker juxtaposes perfectly on the screen. Um, yeah, I, 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 I maybe put my cards down really, really early here, but um, Hellraiser's. Like, Hellraiser's one that for me is in for the win on this year so we will see if others think the same way uh, let's swing it round to a man that I also know loves this movie um, and then we will swing it to one who I'm unsure of his opinions on this movie uh, but we'll start with Andy Blockley talk to us a little bit about Hellraiser hey just quickly Easter egg alert right on stage right when they're in the dressing room <laughs> fucking still watching a movie and podcast Picture of George Eastman as Anthropophagibarchus on did, the did wall. Did you not know that? No. no. Is that the first thing you picked up? Oh, Girl, you can't tell Duncan anything new. Like even Sorry. if I get up at four a.m. and get some like exclusive news that's just been released, and I tell Duncan, he goes, "Yeah, I know. I don't know about that for weeks." I th- Forget no, the it. Thing then. is, exclusive news that you like. Andy's off. The, Andy is fucking Nicholas Naughty and what do you call it? Nick Naughty and Tropic Thunder. He's, he's off the fucking grid. Yeah, he's totally off the grid. So, like, when you post something as news that you've just heard about, it's filtered its way through social media about a week before, Andy. Right, right. Should we talk about Hellraiser then? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the. It's weird with this. He's talking about like this being, you know, like yeah, I didn't understand like half the film. I think there's like two kinds of adult. Well, there's three kinds of adult films, but for the purposes of this conversation, there's two. There's basically an 18 certificate that's just got loads of gore and shit in it. Yep. And then there's an 18 certificate film that's an 18 certificate because it's genuinely got an adult theme that a child, you know, a 15 year old or maybe a bit even, you know, maybe a bit younger than that. But sort of anyone under, say, I reckon 14, probably wouldn't know what the fuck's going on. And I think Hellraiser is one of those films, and I think it's one of those films that you do watch Hellraiser and appreciate it for completely different reasons at different times of your life. Like the first time you watch this, you probably just thought, fucking hell, this is amazing. There's like a zombie guy coming back to life and, you know, like amazing stop motion animation, special effects, and then you've got the Cenobites. You don't really know why she's that bothered about fucking killing guys just so she can regenerate this person you don't understand like the concepts of lust do you really at that age and i was talking to rachel about this last night because i was kind of putting forward this um devil's advocate of a question kind of um saying if you take out the he- the cenobites out of this movie is it still a good movie Ooh. it's not necessarily my opinion saying that it isn't it's just a, i think it's a question it's something worth discussing because they're not in it for long and that opening scene of the Cenobites with all the chains hanging from the ceiling, I get the feeling that wasn't originally there. I think they kind of put that in as a little hook to hook you in. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the original cut of the film, you know, the original version, the Cenobites literally appear for the last five minutes and maybe that's not enough to kind of get people interested. Um, well, so in, the book, in the book, they arrive early, but in the book, Pinhead's a woman, so... Um, okay, yeah. 
So he did change quite a lot to make it happen, and this movie did get like battered by uh, censors at the time who were just like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, I mean, I think first of all, the, the way they describe it in the book can't really be put onto film anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing, really, that this that this film kind of didn't get torn to pieces by the censors when you had like Nightmare on uh, sorry Friday the Thirteenth movies being literally cut to pieces only probably a year later. Yeah, like to the point where one, you know, that part seven is almost—it's deathless, pretty much, isn't it? And nearly everything's off screen on that film. Um, the amount of gore and like violence and sort of viscera in this film—it's quite surprising, really, that it's it's kind of made it through. And like, thank fuck it did, because it's incredibly powerful stuff. Um, yeah, this is a really great film. I mean, I'm not sure if Hellraiser Two is appearing on the list at all. I'm sure it is. I personally do prefer that. I think that is my sort of most favourite of the if you wanted to put all the Hellraisers into some kind of order I do prefer the second one um, but this first one is uh, yeah is a, is a really compelling story it introduces us to you know to the Hell Priests and the Cenobites which I don't think anyone had seen anything like that at the time and I don't yeah. think anyone's really seen anything like it since either I mean it's so iconic you know that you know when they appear um, I think my only criticism for Hellraiser really and it's such a minor thing is that I just wanted to see more more Cenobites just because of how incredible they are but I think now sort of at the age I am and you know sort of appreciating modern films less and less and older films more and more I think less is more isn't it and a lot of these films you know I think we talked about this with Candyman he's hard, yeah. Candyman's hardly in the Candyman film and it's an incredible film for it because the small you know the few scenes that he's in it's so powerful you know it's such an incredible you know, thing to appear on the screen. And it's the same with them, you know, with the Cenobites. They're not on screen for long. When they are, you know, it's just pretty breathtaking. Um, yeah, I really, I really like this movie. I'm going to kind of echo nearly everything Duncan says, I think, with it. Um, I, it's hard to get on board with Julia just because she's not really that attractive. And I know that's <laughs> like, and it's weird because I criticise films for having to put attractive people in them. It actually annoys me that like everyone has to be a fucking supermodel these days. But with her, I just I just don't like her. I just yeah. I don't think it's even necessarily the way she physically looks. I just she's just not a very nice human being. Yeah. Um, and I know to for her to do the thing she's doing in the film, she can't be really. She's murdering guys just so she can get some dead guy penis. It's not. It's, it's but I think the thing is though, when you see her early, when you see her in the flashback, she's like actually a likable for for the very limited time we see of her she is quite soft-spoken she doesn't like she doesn't have the battle makeup on her hair you know is longer yeah. uh, it's all softly lit and all the rest basically the what what has corrupted her what's basically destroyed her is the fact that she married the wrong brother she got a taste of something that she couldn't have after that and then had to settle for a, a, a marriage which i think she resents and that's why you know, it doesn't justify the killing, so to speak. Um, I don't but think that, would have Was it? <laughs> I don't think he would have been faithful anyway. I think she had a lucky escape. I think so, yeah. I think look, we all saw the pictures. Uh, you know, I, I think the thing is she she ends up in an unhappy marriage to someone that she, she finds out that, like, she thought she loved, but she doesn't. And when we jump forward into the present time with her, um, I think she plays it perfectly because she is the face of someone who is not happy, like just just not happy at all. And when that that spark, that potential spark of interest of being able to have the thing that she couldn't have comes back, 
you know, someone that's completely, he's dependent on her, not her on him. Um, I think that's why she throws herself feet first into it. I think that's, I think that's what makes it really, I think she's really good. This one thing I think, like, she's, she's like a really good villain in this movie. Like a really, really, really good villain because you do, you just hate her. <laughs> that's, that's an enviable quality in movies. You don't hate her because she's like a bad actress or anything. You hate her because she's just evil. Um, and that's kind of awesome. Yeah, uh, and this film, this it won't, it will never. This is timeless because no, not no digital blood in sight. None at all. None, none, none at all. Some <laughs> no, pretty dodgy digital that. effects at the end of the movie, but none here. Yeah, I mean the the makeup job, and you know, I mean the Cenobites, it's it's, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Like, you know, we've seen you've seen the tortured souls figures, and obviously, you know, the Cenobites evolve as the films go on, and it does get to the point where literally the Cenobites are the only saving grace of the movies. Um, yeah, obviously not the case here, um, but yeah, just just the birth of a of one of the greatest horror icons, you know, in history. There's never going to be anything else like the original Doug Bradley Pinhead. It's uh, incredible. Yeah. A villain that doesn't actually have to, obviously he's the lead Cenobite in this movie, but a, a villain that almost shucks all the other horror icons of the of the decade. I mean, he doesn't run about the place, he isn't quick-wittedly firing at one-liners until much later on in the in the franchise. Yeah. And his, his weapons are, you know, are, are really all controlled by his mind. It's just very, very, very sadistic. Like a very sadistic, twisted character. And Doug, Bla uh, Doug Bradley plays him to perfection. Um, Gary Hill. Uh, we've talked a lot here. It's because we love this movie. I am very much aware that I have not a clue where you stand on any of them. Um, so now is the time for you to illuminate the conversation with your views on Hellraiser. First of all, is, is, are the Cenobites really villains in this movie? I, I don't think they really are. But they're more yeah. like mm -hmm. they're, they're more like you know retrievers because you know Uncle Frank essentially escapes from hell, and they, they got to go after him. But he's obviously a bad dude. He's done some bad shit. So when he does, you know, go a little too far in his obsession, his perversions, he goes to where he's gonna go, and he just gets out. You know, I think. One of the best Hellraiser films that's not a Hellraiser film is, is Drive Angry with Nicolas Cage. And, uh, <laughs> everybody that. should watch that movie. You know, it's, it's so over the top. It's amazing. Oh god! But William Fichtner is your Cenobite in that movie with his mm -hmm. with his hell gun and his whatever you want to call it thing, angel gun. I don't know what the fuck it is. It's crazy though. <laughs> but uh, Hellraiser itself though is is a good time. Uh, poor fucking Larry, you hapless, yeah. clueless bastard. You know, he cuts himself, brings his brother back to life, kind of, and then he helps, uh, his horror wife helps him come back to life by just luring some really seedy looking dudes in the house. So I guess he could suck the life out of them. I don't know what the, the <laughs> I never read the book before, so I don't know quite what he does to him to get, to, to get his flesh back and to get, well, he doesn't get his flesh back. He, he steals his flesh from his brother, but um, get everything else back going on so he can smoke cigarettes again and stuff. Um, Kirsty is kind of a lame character. She, she she's okay, but she she really doesn't get her bones until the second film, I think. Mm -hmm. All she does this film is just kind of point the box at those Cenobites and they fly back in and again, and that that's about it. Uh. Yeah, the Cenobites makeup is phenomenal. Even for 87, you watch it in HD, it still looks pretty awesome. Yeah. 
I know the female Cenobite, I forget the actress's name, was replaced in the second movie because she just couldn't take the 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 strenuous makeup process anymore. She didn't want to do it again. So, yeah, so it must have been pretty extensive with the latexes and whatever they had to do to make her look all with her, 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 her chin vagina, her, 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 uh, her, her, her neck vagina going on yeah. there, just ripping it open. We had to hear it from your own lips. Yes, good stuff. Oh, since chills down my spine, man. Oh. <sighs> Chatterer, King of the Cenobites, the scariest motherfucker on screen. <laughs> Scary stuff, man. Uh, yeah, I, I like I like the the, the arc of her just feeding her, feeding uh, feeding um, the, 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 the Uncle Frank to people, and that's pretty great. I love the the end of this film, the reveal of. You know him wearing her father's skin, Kirsty, and she could tell right away. And I brought this up to Andrew Robinson at a con one time that he used the same line in Transfers Three as he uses this with "Oh, come to daddy" thing in the same exact <laughs> way. And he knew just what the fuck I was talking about. It was quite kind of spectacular. And um, he's I, I, I love I love uh. That, that scene, the, the, the money shot is the end of this movie where uh, Uncle Frank's all pulled apart by the chains mid-death and of course Jesus wept. And then which he, which he ad-libbed. Which, yeah, which he ad-libbed. I read in yeah. the original script it was fuck you and he basically talked Clyde Barker out of it. Ironically talked Clyde Barker into probably a line that feels more unfitting with Clive Barker's writing than fuck you does. <laughs> I mean, Damn. Clive Barker's more more likely to write the line Jesus wept, but it, what a great addition to it. It's such a great line. I had a shirt and I wore it out with with what the, the what they call nowadays fucked Frank on it with him all ripped <laughs> apart like that. I've heard so many people call it fucked Frank on it and that's like the perfect way to describe it. But then in the end you get the hobo that's the, that's been walking around this film. And this kind of takes me out of it. Not that I don't like, I love the movie. And I'm, this is the only thing I'm going to shit on is the creature on, on the rolling gurney, which looks really stupid, just flailing its arms about going down the corridor. And uh, what I call that golden child demon redux at the end when the hobo <laughs> turns into the, the demon thing. And then all I can think about is um, Eddie Murphy. My sweet brother Nopsy at the end of Golden Child. And, uh, he yeah, wanted the Achanti all... dagger. You need to give him. I, 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 I want the knife, please. I, 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 I want the cube, please. Is that a horror movie? I really badly <laughs> want it to be a horror movie, but it's not. It is delightful. This this film lacks Randall Tex Cobb, so there's that. You, know. <laughs> yep. you need Randall Tex Cobb in your movie, in every movie, so there you go. But Hellraiser is great. I got no complaints about it. Except what Andy said, the second one is the superior film. Yeah, we're all in agreement on that one. I, I, I think the first one is phenomenal. I think the second one is maybe the best horror sequel ever made. So um, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Just we'll... quickly, that just reminds oh. me. I um, bought. A... This is another stage fright. Like no, no, it's not. Even I, that is still on. Um, have you heard of the Hellbound Hearts, like short stories? It's like how they're like Hellraiser, like stories in the Hellraiser universe by different authors. No, I have not. Okay, well, I bought it for Rach um, from Amazon Marketplace. It was signed by like Clive Barker, Nicholas Burnham, Vin Burnham Vince when it turned up. Signed by, signed by everybody. 
Yeah, again, n another cast that I've met that are just phenomenal people. Yeah, not to me. It was signed to whoever it was who owned it before, a guy called oh, Rob. Oh, right, right. right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, it was like signed by Bark and Doug Bradley, the guy that played the chatter. I was like, fucking hell, look at that. It's a shame you're not called Rob, because that'd be a really fucking good <laughs> Clive Barker November, folks. Come to Chicago. It could be spectacular. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be, be awesome. I envy you greatly, sir. I envy you greatly. Uh, he's, on that, one... he's on that bucket list, man. Yeah, of course he is. I, I, we don't genuinely, from for health reasons, I don't know how long he's going to be with us. It's quite scary. Um, there is one question I need to ask. Well, it's actually something that as a command. It's a command that I need to shout out to the person that is going to lead this next review. Andy Blockley, are you listening to me? Go on. Get to the chopper! <laughs> Get to the chopper! Give me! Give me! Give me! Ugly! Do it! Do it now! Yeah. Hey, Christmas tree! Hey, light bulb! That's the wrong movie. That's, That's the wrong, wrong movie. movie yes. <laughs> That's the wrong movie. These people uh, so... just need food for God's sake. <laughs> Right, so this is Andy's pick. Now, Andy, like genuinely, I think you thought you were being super controversial on this one. I don't think you're really going to have to win over me. I don't know where Gary stands in this, and we'll get to him shortly. You don't have to really win over me. Uh, you don't have to win over Wikipedia or IMDb, who list this movie as a sci-fi action horror movie. So horrors in there. Uh, this is Predator, of course, directed by John McTiernan. Produced by Lawrence Gordon, Joel Silver, and um, John Davis, not the singer of Korn. Uh, written by Jim Thomas and John Thomas, that is confusing. Uh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, and Jesse the Body Ventura. Bunch of slut jawed faggots around here, this stuff will make a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus, just like me. One of the greatest lines. Farmer, the body. <laughs> Jesse, the wine, Ventura. <laughs> if anything, uh, the body is increased. <laughs> <laughs> or is he now more like, they put explosive paint in the building? <laughs> Which is what he's like now. The man has gone from this planet. He's, he's one of those conspiracy nuts. Gotta love them, gotta have the them. alien was uh, sent down by George Bush. <laughs> His name was Secundus. Wait, wrong movie, you know. Wrong movie, wrong movie. Uh, damn as well. <laughs> oh, we could do a whole show of this, but we're not going to. Uh, the synopsis for this one is a team of commandos on a mission in Central American jungle find themselves hunted by an extraterrestrial warrior. Um, some interesting factoids I've found about this one. The original concept for the film originated as a joke. Someone said that the only person Rocky Balboa of the Rocky franchise had yet to fight was E.T., the extraterrestrial, and that's why you got this movie. Um, all of us know this now, but it was very much not known back in the day. But Jean-Claude Van Damme was originally cast to play the Predator. Uh, the idea being that his, uh, as a physical action star, he uses martial arts to make the Predator an agile ninja Ra uh, Raquel Hunter. Uh, that was real dumb. Yeah, he was dropped for being too short because he's five foot nine, uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and his team averaged between six foot two and six foot five. So yeah, we can kind of see why that didn't happen. Um, uh, Jesse the Body Ventura was delighted to find out from his wardrobe department 
that his arms were one inch bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger. He suggested to Schwarzenegger that they measure arms and the winner gets a bottle of champagne. Ventura lost though because Schwarzenegger had told the wardrobe department to tell Ventura that his arms were bigger. That crafty Schwarzenegger, always, he's always that. You'll never beat him, you'll never beat him. He was the, the governator of California. Um, so Andy Blockley, you picked this one. Um, I hopefully have allayed to rest some of your maybe slight concern that you might have to try and convince me. You may still have to try and convince Gary, but you certainly don't have to try and convince me. Tell us why Predator is on the list. Well, it got me to thinking, like, if the group of victims, which is, you know, these muscular steroid-induced beefcakes, if they were just a bunch of regular people, I don't think you'd have any hesitation this is a horror film. I think all of a sudden, because it's these big fucking macho soldiers who seem to be able to maybe handle things a bit more, you know, but, you know, this is, this is a fucking alien that's basically come down to Earth just to kill people, just for fun, for sport. Mm-hmm and massacring them in the most brutal ways and, you know, cutting them to pieces and and taking their skulls as trophies and sucking the brains out and, you know, polishing the skull and it's horrific. It's all really horrific stuff and I thought, fucking hell, like, I've obviously heard that Terminator was probably going to be on the list, which I totally agree with. I think that's an incredible, you know, slasher film. It's terrifying and unstoppable force coming after you. And The Predator is kind of the same thing and I just thought, you know, you could say that The Thing is like an action sci-fi horror. So fuck it, The Predator is an action sci-fi horror too, and I think it, I think it belongs on the list. Whether it's going to go through is you know, one of the two greatest films of 1987, I'm not sure, but it's such an entertaining movie. The script is fucking amazing. I mean, the character's obviously larger than life now, and it's a little bit cheesy probably if you watch this having never seen it before just because we don't see action stars like this anymore, you know, like with, you know, the, the, the one-liners and the jokes and the banter. I mean, they're trying to do it, obviously, again, in this new one, and I think what people kind of don't realise, you know, with all these Predator sequels and fucking Alien versus Predator and all this kind of thing, it's not the Predator that makes the Predator film amazing. It's just one of the ingredients. I think the amazing thing is just this ensemble cast with the, this amazing script and this like rapid-fire film. There's it, it's just never a dull moment. Um, yeah, you just you just can't beat it. I think it's it's one of my favourite films of all time, um, and I just wanted to give it a shot. I know it's probably not going to go through, but I think it does deserve a shot, and it does deserve talking about. I don't know if Gary agrees that it's a horror film. What do you think? <laughs> Not entirely a horror film. Yeah, I was kind of like up in the air. I was want- I wanted you to make your case, so I I wasn't gonna say like you know what I would replace that with Predator because I really wanted to hear what you had to say. Like I really wanted you to make your case, but uh, as as uh you know the hunter and prey thing, Terminator works a, a lot better. And in- in- as far as a horror, if you want to call it a horror film, I heard the argument from tons and tons of people. I've never heard about Predator. That doesn't mean that you're wrong, but Predator as a film is a it's a great film. And uh I have a lot of fun with it and Arnie being the final guy, but uh I think the the MVP of this film has to go to Bill Duke, man, because he's just like should be selling those big razors on TV. Just, just <laughs> yeah. going big Gotta razor. Have some and... fun tonight. Gotta have me some fun tonight. Gotta have me some fun tonight. Good stuff, man. Damn minigun. 
can't get enough of that shit, man. Just tearing down the fucking rainforest. Like oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I have the subtitles on. I thought, what's he shouting? I really wanted to know what he was shouting. I don't think it matters. I don't think he knows. But yeah, I used to fucking rewind that scene where they're basically like chopping trees down with the miniguns. Amazing. Uh, great lines, you know, if, if it bleeds, we can kill it, you know. Chest of the body, I ain't got time to bleed. Uh, you know, the, uh, Shane Black shows up for this movie as, as an actor, you know, mm-hmm. who's given us that new Predator film and gave us so much great stuff. Including Jeez, a film got a big pussy. Hell oh, yeah. <laughs> Life dying pussy is in black, yes. Uh, <laughs> um... Kevin Peter Hall is, is a, was a very tall man. He's he's passed away now. Played played a couple of good creatures, uh, Harry and Harry and the Hendersons. Not a horror film, but a film that I love. Uh, yeah. lo- lo- lots of great stuff, and he's he's super imposing because he's so fucking tall. You need Go that on, Harry, tall. Get out of here! We don't yeah. want you around anymore. Oh, I I, I tear up, man. man. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad for you, man. But John McClane says that's much. Uh, um. You're shitting all over the house, Harry. Come on. <laughs> Don and me, she just... No, we're not talking about that movie. But you know, yeah. The part where he sees it for the first time. Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. <laughs> Niagara Falls, right. Uh, <laughs> no, but this is, though... It's it's a great action movie. Like I said, not sure if it's a horror film. But I guess I guess the last... The last 30 minutes... Where, where our Arnie Dutch... Our hero Dutch... Is, um... Try to outsmart the creature by, you know, muddy, mudding himself up to, to hide and camouflage. Which, you know, the bulldog with the mud next to Arnie. Best meme ever about yeah. Predator. Couldn't see me. It's good stuff. Uh, but the gore, the gore factor is, is spectacular. But then again, they, they cut away from a lot of the, you know, the head explosions or whatnot. But the part where, um, uh, Bennett, no, not Bennett. What, what's, what's Carl Weather's name in this movie again? Dylan. When Dylan, is, is, when Dylan is killed, you just see the impact of the shots, and that's scary as fuck. So I'll, I'll give that, I'll give that horrifying for sure all day long. But um, secret thrill, I like Predator Two just as much as this movie. Oh, I'd I like, guess. yeah, I'd like Predator Two. Yeah, Predator. Me and Blockley have had like many conversations quoting that movie incessantly. People, people talk about it like it's, like it's an inferior film. I think it's it's equal in my no. opinion. King Willie for do. president. Yeah. Fucking voodoo magic, man. I'm sorry. It's good stuff, though. Predator, yeah. Predator's fun. What what can be said that hasn't been said about yeah. Predator? But uh, yeah, I'll say watch that shit. But I'm not sure if it's a horror film. There you go. <laughs> about the one who'll be doing all the killings, Aya. <laughs> <laughs> And the Busey's amazing. He won't talk to you. This <laughs> Busey just got other world life forms. A fucking alien. <laughs> His son is in the new one, you know. Is he? Jake Busey. Oh, playing the son of Busey's character from the second movie. Yeah. Oh, um, this is sold. Sold to Duncan. Duncan will be there opening night. Um, right, let, let, let me just swing in right at the very end. Uh, and just to, to, to kind of underlie a lot of what has been said and kind of weigh in on certain aspects. I think this movie is incredible. It is one of my, I think this is maybe in my top three Arnie movies ever, uh, safely, comfortably in my top three Arnie movies ever. I think it's 
phenomenal. I think the special effects are amazing. I think when you have a kind of psychopathic alien running around hunting men for sport by ripping their fucking rib cage out at the end as trophies, that is that you know that is phenomenal. Andy is right when he says that it probably won't go through because ultimately what comes down to is whilst I respect its horror chops, I would never argue against its horror chops. When I'm put down with the would I rather pick up the two movies that I want to put through or Predator, I will go for the other two because I think they have stronger horror credentials in this competition. I was just going for what movie I'm going to have a good time watching, quote all the lines all the way through and watch Arnie be an absolute Boston, then there's only one winner and there's always only one winner in that competition and that's motherfucking Predator. So... Oh, by the way, Bill Duke is the MVP in, in Commando as well. So there, oh, there's yeah. that, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know, I know. I, oh, I, I eat know. green brains for breakfast. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes, yeah, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> this green beret is going to kick your ass. Mm-hmm. I'm done, I'm sorry. All good, all good, all good. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that was The Predator. Let's swing this one to Gary. I feel I need to get this one out of the way before my voice goes. Gary is going to talk to us a little bit about a movie called A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. The Dream Warriors! Directed by... What? What? Every fucking thing. Directed by Chuck Russell. Produced by Robert Shea. Um, what? <laughs> what? What? Screenplay by Wes Craven, Bruce Wagner, Frank Darabont, mind blown, and Chuck Russell. Story by Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner, based on the characters by Wes Craven. The movie stars Heather Langenkamp, Patricia Arquette, Larry Fishburne, aka Lawrence Fishburne, Priscilla Pointer, Craig Wasson, Robert England, and Robert Saxon. And the synopsis for this one. Uh, John Saxon, not Robert Saxon. Uh, so no, thanks for correcting me. Uh, the, I'm speaking of myself. And the synopsis for this one is a, psych, a psychiatrist familiar with knife-wielding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens at a mental hospital battle the killer who's invading their dreams. Um, okay, Gary, the floor is yours. Why Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors? First of all, if I didn't tell you that Never Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, is one of the best, not just horror sequels, but sequels made of all time, you need to be hit the head with a tack hammer because uh, it's, it's just it's just true. I mean, you, you got great characters in this film. Yeah, also, you got a couple of useless characters too, like Joey. I think Joey's pretty worthless in all these films. <laughs> uh, Kincaid, though. Kincaid is spectacular. And uh, Ken Sago's the actor. And the person's a solid dude too. You ever meet, you ever meet him at a con? Anything he makes goes to to inner city kids for school stuff. So go, go get money to Ken Sagos all day long. Um, he's got some great lines in this movie. Uh, calling Freddie a burnt face pussy, and you know, <laughs> great now my dick. Great now it's my dick that's killing me. You know, there's great Kincaid lines in this movie. Uh, Nancy's back doing stuff, you know, and. This is where, like, the surreal nightmare powers come through because they all supposedly have dream powers. Mm-hmm. And they're dispatched so quickly that I just, I just, I, I care, but I don't care. Like, yeah, the handicapped kid walk now and he's the wizard master, but then he gets killed by a wheelchair almost and, you know, stabbed. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, the torture of these kids and it's pretty great. 
uh, Bradley Gregg as Philip. That's probably one of the most cringeworthy deaths in any one of these films. Mm-hmm. Freddy slices his legs open and uses him as a puppet by his tendons. It's like, oh, man, that, that's gross, you know. Only bested for me because my, my, pers- for my personal you know, experiences having terrible ears as a child was Carlos's death and Freddy's dead because that's that's the king for me. And Carlos's mother looked like my old my grandmother did no me did me no favors as a child because it was it was really bad. Um, but this one, yeah, it's, I, I people think the skeleton at the end of the junkyard looks really stupid. I'm I'm not one of those people. I, I think it's a great and I knew what they were going for. They went for that great Harryhausen. You know, tribute, and it looks fine. I think it's awesome. I love it. I think it adds to the creepy creepiness of it. Mm. Um, uh, if you haven't read the novelization of this, you, you get a lot more of what the script was going to be in the novelization. So if you could find like a PDF file or, or the book itself, go go seek that out because a lot of what the original script was going to be. That's why it has like three or four writers because they all made drafts and then that draft was turned into something else and that draft was turned into something else okay not that i'm complaining about the film but it, it, it was it's, it's great but it's great to also see what what it could have been and a lot of that's in the novelization um robert is is going full tilt i mean people talk about <laughs> they talk about like nightmare fours the, the the point where he started going cartoony i mean the girl watching tv and then of course her her big break in tv fuck the prime time bitch then <laughs> that's like one of the first kills and if that didn't say he's going cartoony then him having arms superimposed coming out of the tv and pushing a girl through a tv I, I don't i don't know what it is man i think he's still menacing though at that point i don't think he, he's yeah, still is. i think the balance is the balance between the one-liner the because really in this movie is using their fears against them oh yeah you know what i mean that's the it's the first big one and then from this point onwards if a character is like lactose intolerant it will be death by milk with a freddy <laughs> one-liner you know what i mean that's that's she, kinda, here, comes, uh, here comes here comes kurt angle with the milk truck gonna you know, shove like, it down your throat <laughs> literally that's 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 basically what happens that the character does become a cartoon character in this level in this particular movie the balance between those almost cartoon qualities and the way he kills them i mean there's a scene with hypodermic needles which is right yeah. out of fucking that is a nightmare that's nightmare fuel um and it, the balance is perfect in this movie um do i think the, the, the i mean freddie maybe speaks a little bit too much but out with that the balance is spot on and yeah from from now onwards it's it's the it's everything's a freddie show um so I, I think yeah. I think Kristen's a pretty useless character too. Now that we're talking about useless characters, <laughs> I know she's like the through line to these Elm Street kids in this film. But you know, when it comes down to like doing stuff, it's like wow, she could do some flips and not much else, you know. And the power's there, bullshit. I'm beautiful, <laughs> right? That's not a power, and I'm bad. That's not power either. Like you want to be impervious to heroin or something? That should be your power. Yeah. Rubbish powers. <laughs> <laughs> these, these kids' personal guapos are not up to par, is what you guys are trying to say, right? You Pretty know? much, yeah. 
really unimaginative. I'm beautiful and I'm bad. Everyone else can do shit. Like, Cripple Guy can walk. The other way, like, Kincaid's super strong. You know, Wizard Master, I'm not sure really what he's doing, but... Yeah, I mean, like, mine's, mine's would have been, ideally, you know, to have a 10-inch penis, but I already have that, so <laughs> that dream's, you know, that'd be a wasted dream. It'd just be me realising how, how big my dick actually is. So Yeah, hum- humbleness could have been yours. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh Dave Lockley, I love you so much. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, great. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you know, this is really the peak of the series as far as, like, what he became and, you know, if you like that or you don't like that. You can watch this and just turn on some docking. Into the fire! I can't do the voice <laughs> either. But then again, neither can Don Dockin now, so he can't hit those high notes either anymore. This is so true. age age affects us all in, in, so. in cruel, cruel ways. <laughs> but yeah, I'm kicking somebody else, man. I love it though. We could go for yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll very, very quickly cover in this one because it's one I've, I've spoken about quite a lot um, over the years as well. Uh, it's my favourite in the series. I think I've, I've made no. <laughs> No qualms about this. My favourite in running order is 3-2-1. I know that upsets some people, but one has some issues that I just can't reconcile in my brain. Um, and all the complaints against two are silly. Uh, so I think three is the perfect... The, the, it's the perfect Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I think it gets so much right and very, very little wrong um overall none of the movies in the series are perfect movies it's very much like the friday the 13th movies and that none of those movies are perfect movies either but every now and again they you know everything just the stuff that needs to work and the way it should work come together and it makes you see the tiny little flaws as nothing to be concerned about at all and that's where i lie on this film andy blockley um, first one I think is my favourite horror version of Freddy just because there's so many creepy fucking sequences in that. Um, I, I do struggle with some of the acting. Um, I do think that lets it down. And I don't think it, you get that in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. I think the acting's all pretty pretty solid from all these kids. Um, it's the most fun one. It's the most creative of the whole series. I think the characters are, are likeable. You're quite happy to spend 90 minutes with all the characters in this film. Um, the, the special effects are just fucking superb. Like again, it's the creativity of you know Freddy coming out of the telly, the puppet Freddy, um, you know the, uh, the 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 nurse, you know turning into Freddy, like spitting the tongs and uh, like the fucking the waterbed turning into like the pit of fire and all that sort of stuff. It's really fucking really good stuff. Another great pair um, of tits, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that I like the way they extend the mythology. I think that's interesting. The whole thing with Amanda Kruger and you know getting to see her, and I think that's really cool. And um, bringing back characters from the first film, I think that's a good move. I think it's a really refreshing tonic for people that didn't like Part Two. I do enjoy Part Two now, sort of as an adult. Um, at the time, I wanted just more of the of the first one. When I and, and Part Two was just a massive, massive disappointment to me when I first watched it as a kid. Um, and then part three was just like, oh wow, this, yeah, fucking hell, this is ex- this is exactly what I wanted from from part two, basically, and I've got it in part three. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a really great one. I love the skeleton at the end. I think it adds to the creepiness. I love the whole thing of uh, you know John Saxon kind of finally coming round to to help his daughter, his daughter out and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know the Freddy snake coming out the wall. It's just there's just so many great sequences in that film. Um, for me, it's it's a very close second to the to the best one of the series. Cool, right? 
Oh, where do we go now? Where do we go now? Um, let's pick off my final pick, um, which was Opera, which apparently I'm the only one that enjoys this movie. So I, I see this as being a very quick conversation. Uh, why did I pick Opera? Well, Andy, why did I pick Opera? Why do you think I picked uh, Opera? You, you're into your Argento stuff, aren't you? That's... Yeah. <laughs> you know, a bit of Argento. <laughs> In it, Argento in it. It's um, Argento in that, isn't it? Yeah. Please tell me because I'm dying to know. I don't. I'm I'm scratching my fucking noggin, mate, as to why this is on the list. Apart from the amazing death sequences, it's. Um, I think you this... like opera. Are you a fan of opera? Because there's plenty of that playing all the way through. Well, this kind of links back to why I think this movie works. Uh, I think it follows almost perfectly the beats of what it's a, intending to be. Um, like the the whole the whole idea of Italian cinema kind of spirals off from the way that they did theatre before, which was opera. That's what they gave the world, um, and Argento has played with like. The, the over dramatic use of whether it's colours or score or you know death in his movies before and opera is the one that I think for better or worse allows him to really kind of go gonzo with it like put push it to the edge I mean some of the the cinematography in this particularly with the birds that are used are probably the most ostentatious sort of exercises and waste that Argento had done up until this point. I mean, you're, you're working with a guy at this point who is maybe starting to lose a bit of his credibility um, as a filmmaker, but is still very much considered, you know, like a, a rock star of the genre. I keep coming back to that. He really was in the 80s. Argento, everything that he did was just seen as being dangerous. Um, and he somehow manages to, however, I don't know how he does it, but in all those movies up to this point, particularly in this movie, he manages to do something in his movies which will get a reaction from me of, and you know the scene I'm talking about, when he basically sellotapes pins under someone's eyelids as a, as a form of torture. That is, you know, that is, that's not just a... As something that can be, you know, dismissed or whatever, if you know what I mean. It's, it's, it's we all have to blink. Um, so it's gonna, you know, what I mean, it's, it's gonna affect you. And even he said himself, the whole idea came away from a joke where he was like, you know, I hate it when people turn away um, or shield their eyes from a scene of horror in one of my movies. I want them to sit through it, I want them to take it in. If I've shot it, they should watch it. Uh, it'd be great if we could just pin their eyes open. Um, and so you get this this idea of what's just a throwaway idea put in the book. The death sequences are amazing in this movie, but I just love how over the top the score is. You've got Brian Eno in this, like doing doing work on the score here. Um, it's just very brash and it's very theatrical. It's, it, it is opera, um, after all, and it either works for you or it doesn't. And I know too many people that this movie does not work for. I am in the camp where it works fine for me. I think it's, I, I think it's, to me, it's the last, last Argento movie where I can see that he is still really, really trying. 
Um, and after this, we get flourishes of kind of ideas that he kind of gets behind, but you know, never really fully commits on, or you know, an idea that's really, really well conceived and maybe puts it out there, but the the, the technique and what she's using to try and capture it, or the reliance on not so great CGI, unfortunately, works against them. I mean, this has one of my favourite death scenes in a horror movie of all time, and it involves a gun and a <laughs> and a, a spy hole, um, and his then I think estranged uh, mother of his daughter uh, Daria Nicolodi, who takes it right in the face. Um, and I've, I've got to have a feeling that if they weren't separated before that, they were definitely separated after that. He put her through hell in the eighties, and then just transferred that to his daughter, who he then put hell on through the nineties. Um, yeah, I think it's, but my only gripe with it is I think it, it takes a bit too long to get to it. And I noticed that someone mentioned it as being a slasher movie earlier on, um, or I've misinterpreted that. It's not a slasher, this one's definitely a giallo. Um, big, big difference there. Um, and it plays into those giallo tropes. It's him just trying to, I mean, Phenomena did well in Europe and it was cut to shreds for its release in the US as Creepers. Um, that this is him trying to go back to what he's known for doing and him trying to, you know, give us a really interesting set and build on the idea of theatre. Um, and it doesn't all work 100%, um, but I, there's, a, there's enough in this movie which will stay with me. Some of, some of my best, like, one-shots of, of death are captured in opera. I think he's. I think he, he was still showing that he was very, very interesting as a director. And then he made, uh, I'm trying to remember what the movie was after this one. Um, it wasn't Phantom of the Opera. It was something and it wasn't very good. It was terrible actually. Uh, and then you get a string of kind of lacklustre releases, whether it's Stendhal Syndrome, which is immensely disturbing. Trauma, which is such a great concept, such a terrible execution. And then you have to wait for a while until Sleepless, which is a legitimately great movie. Um, so yeah, that is why opera. That's why I love it. Because to me, it is like watching opera on the screen but with lots more death and bitching death um, and an incredible score and soundtrack and visual eye there you go Andy Blockley you can tell me now why you don't like it <laughs> it's weird like, I think the whole fucking movie just hinges on this fucking gimmick of like putting pins in the eyes which is great but I just think it's really badly done like there's one minute like when she's got the pins under her eyes that she's blinking so much I thought she was in some kind of charity blinkathon <laughs> And then, like, the next minute, she can't blink at all because, like, she can't put her, you know, like, you can blatantly see her blinking and completely missing the pins over and over again. And then, like, one minute there's blood on the pins and then there's no blood on there at all. And I just think, like, just, if, if that's going to be the gimmick that you're going to use for this movie and it's going to be on your front cover, get that scene right. Like, it's just I not don't know if he had much choice in that, though. I think someone else's. Very much like Abel Ferrara didn't want the driller killer scene on the front of the cover it's whoever distributes it that puts it out like that yeah i just think it i just think it could have been done like so much better you know she's not meant to be able to blink but she's blinking like fucking clappers so she can blink it's like what is it can she blink or can she not blink with end pins and also just look look away like obviously the point is that he kills people in front of you and you can't look away well you can you, just because you can't shut your eyes just look at the floor or something like <laughs> and think this is not very good. it's just it just doesn't make sense I mean, the murder set pieces were amazing. Like, they actually took me by surprise. Um, they're really fucking violent and really brutal and really bloody. And 
yeah, that's um, I, I was a bit yeah. I almost like fucking hell, that was cool. I think I wound well, I wound a couple of them back to watch them again because I just wasn't expecting it. Um, I know obviously it's called opera. There's going to be opera music in it. Um, and I'm not completely averse to opera. It can be quite pleasant in some films. I think there's, there's like a scene where you play some opera music in your Shawshank Redemption. There's, uh, there's obviously a scene where he's listening to opera in Hannibal. Um, but the opera playing through this, you're probably going to tell me now that it's, it's deliberately jarring. Um, but it was annoying me to the point where I was turning my telly right down so I didn't couldn't hear it. It was like irritating me that much. And, and, it, and it's, there's a lot of opera just playing throughout this film. Um, I don't like Jallo films. That's no secret. I'm, I don't get it. Um, my favourite Jallo movie is The Editor, and like that's taking the piss out of all of them. As far it's as I'm not aware. taking the um, see. That's the misconception. That's taking the piss. It's not. It's, it's, it's a homage, rash. isn't it? It's, it? You know, it, it is a bit of a, a. It's lampooning them, isn't it? I think. Surely, you know, it's almost it's lovingly pointing out all the stereotypes and making them yes. even more yeah, stereotype yeah. and. And I enjoy that film for what it is, um, for almost like for the novelty factor of it. Uh, it's not something I watch loads. I bought the Blu-ray of it because it's. I do appreciate the colours in these in these movies. You know, it's the it's the colour palette, isn't it? That everybody talks about in these Argento films. Yeah, yeah. But for me, there's there's amazing films that are visual that you can watch on mute or with music or with your own music in the background, like Baraka and Samsara and cannot you know Keanu Swapsy, is it? And yeah. Those kind of films. If I want something visual that's going to blow me away, that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. I don't, you can't just like put this amazing color palette on a on a film that's just not interesting in any other way, and, and we appreciate it. I mean, they do look amazing on Blu-ray. The editor looks incredible on Blu-ray. It's well worth forking out the extra money if you like that film. You know, it is a visual treat. But for me, it's just not enough. I just don't enjoy. I just don't enjoy the you know the bad acting and the bad dubbing and the weak stories and. The, the just the stereotypical stuff that is just you know black glove killer i've seen it like show me something else i don't know i just can't i i do understand why people like them it's a it's a genre of films that you know obviously is quite well loved for me it's just i can't get on board with them i, I don't know what it is i just can't i just can't get with it and i will keep trying because i do <laughs> i don't like to shut myself off to these films i mean i'm really looking forward to the suspiria remake and when i've watched the remake oh, it looks um, amazing it yeah does it looks look, amazing it, it does look incredible i'll give suspiria another go um because you know i am a, i'm a massive horror fan i'm a big fan of cinema and i do you know i like to sort of i know my taste changed throughout the years and there's films that i love now that i probably won't like anymore in 10 years time you know they won't stand up the test of time and then there's films that i don't like now that in another 10 years i probably will but um, at the minute stuff like opera you know and these argento style films it's just not for me i think that's uh, yeah I, I can't I, I can't argue against you on this one like i say like to me opera is like if i compare it with what precedes it um i prefer every movie that came before this to this one by argento you know what I mean? This is me. Yeah. This is me acknowledging this is him on the downslope, and yeah. it, this is him really clinging to. I have this idea that I want to do, and maybe a couple of killing set pieces and writing a story around it. Where previously he was more interested in the, he would actually write the mystery or have someone write the mystery story and then build his death around that. You know, these are our big set pieces, so I cannot disagree. Gary had just finished this movie just as we were starting to record so it's fresh in his memory uh, anything you want to add to andy's uh, andy's comments because i know you're not much a fan either 
No, no, I, I like it okay. It's just the end is kind of wonky. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the very, the very end, the the, the 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 extra ending. It's like fucking Lord of the Rings or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> saying goodbye for half an hour. <laughs> yes. Oh Frodo, you're well again. Oh Killer, you're still alive. No, it's a. Uh, no, the film itself. I like I like the setup of the film. The whole. The, the star goes down, the understudy comes up, but I think it sets up the, the motive of the killer, like, way too early. It's literally, like, four yeah. minutes into the film. So, the detriment of that is, is, is that. It, it doesn't give any time to really develop, you know, what, why why is this person being so hated? Yada, 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 yada. I don't think I've really got a resolution to why our, our killer, you know, who is somebody who you've seen, like, this whole time investigating these Brutal murders. They're the great, they're great kills throughout this film, and um, the whole idea that she has to watch them all—that—that's that, that, uh, something. But then again, you don't really get. But what? Why are you doing this to this girl? Is this because you're like, are you in 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 in, uh, in cahoots with the star, the, the former star of the show? Is this ever explained, Duncan? Is, it, did, 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 is he in cahoots with the star of the show? The former um... star. <laughs> uh... I would like to say that Dario Argento likes to leave things sometimes open to the interpretation of his audience. Okay, if that's what you, well, I, if, if that's I, I what you got from it, then that's just as valid as anyone else's opinion on it. I don't have it. I don't see the motive. The motive otherwise is the problem. But all of a sudden, they set that up right at the beginning of the movie, and then it really doesn't go anywhere with that motive. Like, yes, I'm gonna kill people, and she's gonna watch. I think, uh, yeah, the one with the one, the shot through the eye hole thing. Although it has to be like the most perfect shot in the world ever to happen. <laughs> Plus, it's he's not looking awesome. through. He doesn't know when she's looking through either. That's what yeah. I love about it. it. Has to be timed exactly perfect. That bullet has to not stray at all through that column. But the exit wound looks amazing. Oh yeah. So there's that. And uh, I think the kill. The, the I think one of the first kills of the film is, or if it's not the first kill, the one where. Uh, just starts hacking away at that dude with the dagger. Just, just really digging it in there, and uh, you see everything, which, which I love. And yeah, I saw like a sadistic fuck right now. I really love the blood when it comes out and gushes everywhere. It's really awesome. But no, in a film like this, you really, you want their brutality because she she's forced to watch this. So you know what? Maybe you should be forced to watch this too. Mm-hmm. And. I kind of knew something was up with the inspector. If you haven't seen this film before, people. It's it's an old film. Lots of people have talked about it. The cop doing the investigation is your killer in this movie. Mm-hmm. But you kind of knew something was sketchy about him when, like, he was like, uh, "Oh, because every every time he like loosens her ropes, I kill this person. Now you're free to go. Nobody else questions, you know, that, that this girl could possibly be murdering these people. It's like, no, 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 nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Yeah, kind of thing, you know, and um. I kind of knew something from there that that he was kind of like gonna be so, somewhat involved. I've seen enough slasher movies and police procedural films to to know that this guy may be up to something. Um, I love uh, the, the 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 thing with the ravens. Wasn't really telegraphed that that they could just let a whole bunch of ravens loose in the theater and let them peck some eyes out, but the fact that the killer. Went into when he when he went messed up when he messed up the dress, um, killed a couple of them like just just uh, out of 
It wasn't like out of like, okay, I hate these Ravens. Fuck the, these, fuck these fucking Ravens. No, he was messing up the pecking order of the Ravens. Really, if you think about it, to make him fucking go insane. And when they let him lose, it, they just. This is the one scene that I seen in this film before I saw this film. Was these these Ravens getting let loose in the opera theater and just start pecking people's eyes out and shit and. That's gross. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say this is the film that solidified my 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 fear of birds. That would probably be the birds by Alfred Hitchcock. But I still get really nervous. There's a place here in the states. They have like seven or eight of them around the country called Medieval Times, where you can go see dinner at a show with these people like literally oh, jousting yeah. and sword fighting and stuff. Well, there's a point in the show where there's a person that has trained a hawk to fly around the arena. And I'm still a little sketchy about this hawk, because those hawks can literally pick up... You have small dogs at home, Duncan. Pick up dokes and carry it off into the sky and then eat that little <laughs> motherfucker, you know? So I, I get really sketchy around when, when that part of the, the dinner and the, the dinner and show comes up, but I I still get... The best thing about Medieval Times is they have a full bar, so I just get really drunk and spring for my night the whole show. Mm-hmm. Our section is the loudest section, people. All those sections pale in comparison. But, but opera is is good. It's really good, and to, even up to the, the the fall setting, in which you know she turns the table on her killer, and he gets burnt to a crisp, supposedly. Mm. Until the end, the the end happens. They were like, oh, her and the her and the director just kind of hanging out at like his cottage home or something, and then all come all of a sudden, here comes the killer. Not really looking burnt at all. He looks like nothing happened to him. But he was clearly burning to a crisp when she set him on fire. He, walk, he walked off, Gary. He walked off. It's like when you it's like when you bang your elbow, and you get that kind of ah. You just walk off. Everything. Again, would have been much better film if he just killed both of them, and then been much more satisfying. But then that that fucking extra ending happened again. The Lord of the Rings of horror films, the Italian ones are, I guess, and uh, he just comes back like unscathed. I can run down a meadow with the greatest of ease, you know, like he's fucking Forrest Gump or something. Just running, run, running. And, you know, I'm going to come back and snuff this bitch. Although I should be fucking clearly dead. Yeah. It's a better ending than, I guess, than Sage Fright was, but still, the the, the illogical uh, thoughts of that are just burning in my brain, much like his body was burning to a crisp. I'm done. I'm done with opera. I did like it, though. I did like it a lot, though. If I had to give it a rating, it'd probably be about a good six and a half, seven out of ten. Oh, but again, that, that ending just fucks my from my my world worldview of this movie. Just, <laughs> no. We, we all had to make consensus at one point, guys. We all had to agree on one movie at one point during the creation of this list. And that movie was a little movie by a guy called John Carpenter. You may have heard of him before, he's done a couple of movies. Some of them have been met with critical acclaim, some of them not so much. Uh, He did this movie in 1987 called Prince of Darkness. It was produced by Larry J. Franco uh, and was written by John Carpenter. Uh, The movie starred Donald Pleasance, Lisa Blount, um, Victor Wong, does it ever, uh, Dirk Blocker, um, that's Dirk Blocker, not Dick Blocker, um, and Jameson Parker. The synopsis for this one is a research team finds a mysterious cylinder in a deserted church. If opened, it could mean the end of the world. Andy Blockley, I'm going to start with you. Now, I know that you're a big fan of John Carpenter. 
We are big fans of John Carpenter. We saw John Carpenter together. We went out to, to spend an evening to be winding, well, not winding, dined, but he played to us. At one point, I'm sure he pointed at you and mouthed the words, I love you, Andy Blockley. That he might did, have been yeah. me. Three or four times. <laughs> that may be me doing it to you and then pretending that it was John Carpenter. That's, that may be the way it played out, but I'm sure that's what happened in that room. Either um, way, what a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful evening. <laughs> Um, he's playing again as well, isn't he? He's uh, he's he's doing more tours, more. Yes, uh, I've got I've got a ticket to see him in Glasgow. I'm going gonna to go him. again. Awesome. I'm going to go and see him in Glasgow. He's playing at the Barrowlands, which is insane. The amount of metal bands I've seen play at the Barrowlands is fucking nuts. Uh, I've seen Slipknot almost burn down that stage, and now I'm going to go and see John Carpenter. Fucking rock the fuck out. Yeah, he's going to be in the fleece. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this one. The reason I don't want it is that because it never made any of our threes, I get a feeling it's not it's not one that's going to win here. Um, so we'll just skip right through it really, really quick. Uh, but let's not be dismissive. I have a lot of time for Prince of Darkness. I don't think it's one of his stronger outings of the 80s. I think it's maybe on the, the lower end, if you know what I mean. Um, but it's still a pretty cool story. Amazing sim track. Um, and and some really cool characters and a really cool concept. So tell us a little bit about Prince of Darkness, Andy. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I am a big fucking John Carpenter fan. I've just had a big John Carpenter themed tattoo on my leg. I love the guy. I think he can kind of do no wrong. Definitely my favourite director um, of all time. I do love the setup to this film. I love the whole quantum physics thing. I think it's fascinating. Um, I'm totally on board with that straight the way. Uh, like you say, the music's fucking great. Like, so atmospheric. I mean, this is literally a fucking masterclass, isn't it, in creating atmosphere? Oh, yeah. Um, just the amazing shots. The I like the shots of people talking, but you don't get to hear the dialogue. I think that's a really nice choice that he's done there. Um, it's really spooky. I do struggle um, with the middle of it, this movie a little bit. Just, I don't fucking like any of the characters in it. And I think it's such a shame. Donnie P. Obviously, he's looking great, and uh, and Victor Wong, old Egg Shen, um, he's Egg great. Shen. But apart from that, like it's weird because I love Dennis Dunn in Big Trouble in Little China. I think he fucking sucks in this. He's not great. He's really the only other thing I've kind of ever seen him in. I think the, pretty much every single line he delivers in this movie is awful. Yeah, but when he back body drops that guy through the window, <laughs> fucking flawless. <laughs> That is good. Sure. It's weird, like, he, he talks about the most absurd things in Big Trouble in Little China, like ghosts and sorcery and magic and all that shit, and I literally believe every word of it. Mm -hmm. He can't even convince me that he's annoyed about missing this hot date in this film. Like, <laughs> like, I just think, what happened? Like, this comes after Big Trouble in Little China. I, he's just, I think, yeah, I think Big Trouble, you've got to remember Big Trouble in Little China, John Carpenter, that movie, he's a star. Yeah. Of that movie, you know what I mean? That's why he's got all the great lines, and you know he really goes for it. It wasn't until that movie was finished; it was the film company that changed it to Jack Burton's movie. Yeah, you know right. I mean? yeah. So, so I think that's why. I think in this movie, he's just another actor in it, isn't he? He's, he's just another guy. actor. He's just like I don't know. Every word that comes out of his mouth, it just seems like amateur hour, and it, it's like it, well, it baffles me a little bit. He makes this like joke about homosexual panic. That you can literally hear it go clang on the floor. <laughs> like, I know Carpenter obviously didn't write this film, he did just direct it. And, you know, I think the guy that wrote it 
the, the script needed some serious fucking yeah, tidying I think up. This, is like, a, this is a Carpenter story. This is a Carpenter. He wrote under a pseudonym. Really? Yes. Fucking hell. Like, <laughs> the story's good. The script is fucking shit. The script is like, not great. It's a bit cheesy no. in bits. A bit plodding. Yeah. Um, none of, I don't like any of the, like the mustachioed beefcake guys. Just a knob. Like yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't buy the relationship with him and that girl that like seems to fucking hate him. And then the next minute they're in bed together, and she's worried that he might tell her he loves her. You talk about not Tom Atkins, that guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's got the Tom Atkins mustache. That was like some kind of hypnotic, like lady magnet, wasn't it? You you grow a blonde mustache in the eighties. Doesn't matter what else you look like. I mean, this guy's not actually bad looking. He's got a really good physique. But Tom Atkins is pulling women half his age all over the place because of that mustache. I mean, this this is a man who had access to Tom Atkins, and I never really got why he didn't have Tom Atkins in this movie. Yeah, what's going on? He has got a, a, a like a low rent meatloaf, hasn't he? Yes. Who's just going around doing a mouth trumpet in people's face? <laughs> like, fuck off, man! Like, what are you doing? Yeah, so I'm actually really surprised that Carpenter wrote this because I'm fucking love like Carpenter. I love Carpenter's, uh, you know, his dialogue that he writes normally and stuff. Sometimes it's a little bit cheesy, but a lot of the time I'm perfectly happy with it. In this film, it really like it, I really struggle to get through kind of the second act of this movie just because I don't want to like any everything you show me about these characters. I don't like any of them. They're, they're they're boring. The shit that comes out of their mouth just irritates me. Um, but it, for me, it's totally saved by the third and final act, um, mm. which I just think is really fucking great. Like some, it's just really creepy. There's some genuinely good horror in there. Great effects. Um, doesn't kind of fully make sense. I'm not completely on board with the ending, but I kind of dig it anyway, just because of the kind of sort of surreal end of the world type shit that goes on. I think it's a bit of a cop out. I think they should have had the fucking world come to an end. You know, I think this is sort of the third in his um, apocalypse trilogy. Second, second, is it the second one. What came yeah, after? Mouth of Madness is the third. Oh, okay. I was thinking uh, They Live was included in that. Nice. Uh, to, to me, they live as the logical one to be included in that, but when you see how uh, Mr. Madness finishes, it's you know it fits tonally the same sort of of theme. Yeah. Um, but yeah, end the world for me in this. Like, there's no, there's none of the characters that I'm going to give a shit about if they don't survive. So fucking bring the world to an end, as far as I'm concerned, and I would have been much happier with the ending on this. But I do think it's a really solid horror film. Like, I'm actually a bit surprised now, looking back at the rest of the list, this is the one that nearly didn't make it. Yeah. But this is the one that we all had to kind of get together and, and sort of convince each other, you know, okay, then let's, you know, Prince of Darkness just kind of scrapes through as the 10th movie. I do think it's not anywhere near the worst film on this list at all. Um, so I'm almost a bit surprised now as to why, because I, I watched it back, um, like, the last couple of days I've, I watched it. I think it's because we all we all gravitate to the three that we think should definitely go through, and we all we all we all centre on favourites at that point. You know what I mean? And whilst I love Prince of Darkness, I think it's a great horror movie. It's you know to me it's not as well, it probably well, it's better than opera. Let's be honest. But I was champion for opera because no one else was gonna. Um, Prince of Darkness is definitely better than opera, but you know it, I don't think it's as good as Evil Dead Two or Hellraiser. Um, in my opinion, so when it comes to that, and it's the same with with the picks that you've got and the picks that Gary have got, we go with personal favourites. You yeah. know, no one's. It's almost like Prince of Darkness is almost a given. You know, it's Carpenter, so it's going to make the list anyway. So if we don't pick it up, 
the three of us will do right by the list at the end, which is why it's happened the way it's happened. Um, yeah. I think that's I think that's maybe the logic behind it, not trying to defend things. I'll always you know what I'm like, I'll always swing for an underdog. That an opera will always make my list more just to infuriate people than anything else. Uh, <laughs> because I I do like to champion the the underdog and you know, Prince of Darkness ain't no underdog at all. It's it's all bells, all whistles ringing um Carpenter. Uh, yeah. whilst it's not as yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think the story unfortunately isn't as strong as the other stuff he's doing and I don't know if that comes down to a bit of carpenter fatigue because he is so active in these he's putting it's out so much content I'm so on board at first when yeah. like you know the, the stuff in the classroom I love that because he that's obviously carpenter's bag isn't it? he likes to insert this kind of he likes to you know he likes to kind of school you almost on a subject that he's really interested in but do it in a way that it's you know it's, it's exposition in the film and it feels natural yeah. and for me that pulls me in so much at the beginning and then you've got all the um just the atmosphere and setting it up and like you know the homeless people kind of gathering and, and the weird atmosphere and the, and the nightmares that are happening and the thing with the priest kind of dying and then there's this key and then obviously they discover the thing in the basement i'm all like i'm so on i'm so on board and then we just kind of go to the character stuff, and I just think it's so badly written. And these it's people, a, like, there's not, there's not. He a leans one. back too much into the siege stuff, and I think Carpenter has set the gold standard for siege cinema. He's already done it, hasn't he? Yeah, so. he's done it so much better that because this feels inferior, I just I think we were a bit more critical on it because of that, um, yeah. and yeah, I think rightly so. So. It's a few parts of an amazing fucking movie just let down by some real weak areas in the script. But apart from that, yeah, I do think it's a very, very, very solid film. Nice. Uh, Gary, anything you want to add to that one? Uh, we still have two movies left to discuss. And I imagine from the two movies that are left to discuss, we're going to have interesting combos with both of them, especially when Andy Blockley said he may have substituted one of them. Um, so I don't know why I did it like that, but there we go. Anything else you want to add on top of Prince of Darkness? Well, this film has a lot of stuff that other films don't have. Two things that I'll mention right away is that uh, no other film has Alice Cooper stabbing somebody with a bicycle. This is you true. Know. This is true. That's a true statement right there, ladies and gents. Uh, it's, it's a shame as well. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, the devil's bukkake is the sweetest bukkake ever. <laughs> it's, it's shown in this movie, you know. Watch out. These are spitters, not swallowers, people. You know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, <laughs> No, I think that this film, what makes it what makes it stand out from other Carpenter films, any other film he's ever done, is that his other scripts are pretty straightforward as far as like a through plot goes. But this one is really a thinker. It, it may take you like four or five times to really grasp what's going on. I, I really like the idea because this is an idea that's still going on today. It's been going on for thousands of years about theology against solid against science and uh if it pulls it off real well in this movie you know put these 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 emp by these uh these math students and stuff up against you know this unstoppable force from from another world that they never you can never possibly understand but trying to try to figure out the science of which is impossible you know making them question their own their own soul especially the scene with, with, with moses gun where he's like singing like bible verses and stuff like that and he's like really questioning you know his theology at that point even though he's been taken over by this this unstoppable force um i agree that the act the actors in the film you don't care you don't care about any of these characters 
except for Moses. Except for Moses Gunn, of course. That's yeah, a game. It's lazy writing for me. Like yes. you know, you make you make likable characters in all your other movies. If I didn't realize Carpenter wrote this, and if he did, I'm the only thing I can think. Like Duncan says, he's just fucking had enough at this point. He's put the quantum physics in. It's obviously very personal to him, and he just didn't give a shit about the characters. And you know, fair enough. Then he scarily, yeah. he scarily becomes his inner Argento. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. that's essentially what Argento does. Argento wasn't really overly, you know, concerned about the the script as it was about the idea itself behind the wanting the, uh, this would be a really cool concept in a movie, and I'll just make the movie and it'll work itself out. Hey, this isn't going to cut the mustard as far as the best of any 1980s series. I mean, it's not the best thing you're ever going to watch, but I I like the idea of it more than the film itself, if that means anything. Yep. And uh. The, the girl with the, that becomes the host of this thing gets really gross and that's nasty. Um, uh, we Donnie P's axe throwing skills are on point. Mm-hmm. One motion. <laughs> Break them, you know. Can he smash the mirror? He, he does real well. Um, I mentioned Dennis Dunn's awesome back body drop skills, but he screams like a bitch when he's stuck behind that wall. It is, it is like unconvincing. Nobody's going to fuck him after that. Nobody at all. He didn't even have that hot day anyway. I didn't believe that for a second. No, not at all. He's way too overconfident. Uh, the fat fucky guys with the, with the mouth horn going. Smoke of is uh, Peter Jason, who's in all these Carpenter films and in Walter Hill films. He's an actor that I love, and he just shows up in things. Uh, so that's always good to see him and stuff. But um, the film itself, besides... Alice Cooper and his, his army of hobos and, you know, the whole, you know, idea of theology versus science, which is real. It's, it's a real thin concept in this film because once you get to that midway point, they just forget all about that and, you know, it just let let it fly, you know, all this, literally let it fly. They're spewing crap out of their mouths and turning people and, you know, it's, it's kind of like the thing, but just not very good. So... Prince of Darkness is decent, but again, it's, it's one of those films that's split down the middle. I know a lot of folks who, this is up there in their favorites, you know, because mm-hmm. like I said, it's, it's a thinker of, of a Carpenter film, which not many Carpenter films are like, like, hey, Halloween, you got a killer. He escaped from the mental hospital. He's going to go kill some people in town. It's not really known until Halloween 2 what his motives were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other stuff, Escape from New York. President gets shot down in New York, which is now a prison. Snake is sent in to rescue him. It's awesome, but it's a pretty straightforward plot. This is it is definitely his most sort of intricate film. I just think it's a shame he kind of loses interest towards the end. Yes, yes, I agree. So, yeah, it's not going to make it. So, but but I like it. So there you go. Cool, cool, right? Um, since we are, oh yeah, let's swing back to Andy Blockley. Uh, we joked about this earlier on. We said that maybe uh, of the two vampire movies on the list, there was one that was maybe better than the other. Um, the other vampire movie is Near Dark, directed by um, very young Catherine Bigelow. Very, very young. Um, produced by Stephen Charles Jaffe, and written by Eric Red. You will know that name because I discussed him in great detail in the previous episode in defence of The Hitcher. Um, I say in defence, everyone loved that movie over there anyway. Uh, me and Andy Blockley have discussed this as part of our double feature of Eric Red Movies, where we did both reviews of Near Dark and also The Hitcher. 
That means Andy has spoke ad nauseum about this already. Um, so we will rein it in a slight bit, but I don't want to kill your passion, man. Um, Near Dark, I've said it before, I will say it again, um, is probably my favourite, you know, it's, it's top three vampire movies of all time for me. It's the best vampire movie of the 80s, in my opinion. Um, but tell us how you feel about it, Andy Blockley. Yeah, I mean, this is how I like my vampires. Uh, nasty and fucking brutal motherfuckers. Obviously, you know, you have got The Lost Boys coming out the same year. This is the polar opposite movie. Mm -hmm. If you like vampires, but you're not keen on Lost Boys, then give this one a try because it's probably what you're looking for. Um, this is the kind of vampires that you see in, like, you know, from Dusk Till Dawn, 30 Days of Night. This is the kind of... It's still got the romance there. There is still this, uh, you know, it's the, the sort of the, the centre of the story is this romance between these two people. Um, but the vampires themselves, it's it's a totally fucking different animal, isn't it? It's, it's almost like this family of vampires that have been just... They just go from town to town, I think, pretty much on a loop around America and then back again. Um Obviously, Lance Henriksen, always good value for money, no matter what movie he's in. Um, who's, what's his name? Bill, I always get confused. Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman. <laughs> Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton yeah. of course it is. God yeah, rest Bill, Bill Pullman's the actor that no one can remember because yeah. he's bland. Like Jeff Bridges and uh, who's the other one? I always get them too confused as well. <laughs> Je Jeffrey, who, who's the one that's in uh, The Big Lebowski? That's Jeff Bridges. Right, who's the one that's in Arachnophobia? Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Confusing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Bill Paxson's like fucking brilliant in it. Obviously, it's uh, Vasquez from Aliens. She's great. And then you've got the kid vampire, which is a really good angle as well, because that guy is like, you know, hundreds of years old, maybe, stuck mm. in the body of a child. How frustrating is that? I love that angle of the movie. And uh, I think even one of the characters says, yeah, do you know what's worse than you fucking being stuck in a kid's body is us having to hear about it every fucking 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> really, really great line. Um, it's just so good. It's just so atmospheric, this movie. I mean, Catherine Big Bigelow is a really fucking great director. Oh, she's uh, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can tell right here that she's got the, all the hallmarks of you know a future Oscar winner, I think, personally, because she elevates what could be a very twee... Well, what was by that point a very twee subject matter and, and gives it real bite. And we spoke about this before, the cinematography in this movie and in The Hitcher, you would think it was the same yeah. the same people because the, the cinematography in this movie is mind-blowing. So good. It's so good. It's a joy to watch. I'm actually, I've got the Blu-ray on now in the background because we've been talking for so fucking long. <laughs> uh, I'm now on about the third film. So yeah, this is playing in the background and it's... It is so nice to look at. I mean, the score, obviously, that I can't hear because I've got it on mute, but Tangerine Dream, I've got that oh, score on my Walkman. Yeah. Um, that kind of almost introduced me to Tangerine Dream. It made me want to go and download some of their other stuff, and they've mm -hmm. got some really fucking great albums. They've only probably got, like, two songs on there. Yeah. They're, like, 30 minutes each. Um, just almost, like, you know, taking you on a journey, these songs, and the, the, the score in this film takes you on a similar journey. This it's is just the, great. This is the, the Thief soundtrack I love quite a bit as well. Oh, the Thief soundtrack's phenomenal, yeah. Oh, amazing. I mean, what? that's another fucking amazing movie that I've never seen before. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? I mean, it's something, I, I think until you start reviewing films, you almost take for granted cinematography and scores. Yeah. Because you're not looking at actively looking at them. It's just something that you 
you don't consciously think about unless you you know you then start to break down you know acting script all that sort of thing and yeah score and cinematography just makes such a fucking difference and in this movie it just like Duncan says elevates a film that could have just been you know your average sort of vampire yarn to just something really special and and the violence as well elevates this I mean you know, that that bar massacre scene is uh, quite uncomfortable to watch really it's um yeah incredibly brutal and, and, and this is what i want when i'm looking at a vampire film i don't want the uh you know i'm not looking for a you know tom cruise interview with a vampire this is what i want when i when i watch a vampire film nice there we go right uh, gary hill uh, you want to swing in with some thoughts on your dark um i, I like it i mean I, I i'd say 13 year old me says that the lost boys is better but grown me at watching this film multiple times. I didn't see it until I was in my 20s. Again, one of those films that really wasn't available to me or I just passed it up. Yeah, I was the same. Late starter on this one. But I, it, it, you know, older me thinks this is a better movie. And, you know, for a lot of great reasons. I mean, like like you guys mentioned, the, the set pieces and the locations are spectacular. But it really adds something to the film. You got Lance and Bill and... and uh, Ooh, what's her name? What's Vasquez's name? I forget now. Her name is Diamondback in this movie. <laughs> yeah, just Vasquez. Her name is Diamondback in this movie. Yeah. And she's great. I mean, a little simple stuff, you know. Like, how does this work, you know? There's a fly on the ceiling, and then, you know, she just fucks that guy up. And uh, um, Bill Paxton, severing, like, this is all a scene in the bar where he's just, like, slices the fat guy's throat with the spurs. Oh, it's just yeah. so fucking fluid, man. His finger licking good, you know. And also, they address like not having, not wanting to bite a neck that's covered in hair. Yeah, oh, yeah. You wouldn't, would you? Like, Don't want my neck then. It's all, it's all hairy. So, <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me a nice shaved neck anytime, but just not. Um, you don't have to tie me naked to a table. Jason goes to hell style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that movie. Uh, Adrian Pazdar is okay, but he's not really a, a factor in this film except for the fact that. He's, he's he's the subject of this film, but that's not what you're watching it for. You're watching it for for these these great four vampire characters, and to uh, you know my, my love for Tim Thomerson knows no bounds. He shows up in this movie as uh, Caleb's father, who's who's hunting him down. And yeah, no, I, 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 I I'm sorry. I was just going to say like how these reprehensible characters become um, incredibly, what's the word, uh, sympathetic as well in this film. That's quite an achievement because they're not yeah. nice people at all. Well, they're not. They're 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 fighting to, to to you know feed or whatnot. And you know, I'm not saying they're good guys, but they're you doing well. Do don't you? I think by the end, yeah. like I think I said that when I reviewed it with Duncan, I feel bad for these guys, and you shouldn't yeah. <laughs> really, but you do. Well, yeah, they give that real that again that score behind it them driving literally this this is the western vampire film they they they, they coined it at that and it literally has them riding up into the sunset mm-hmm. and then and then exploding on impact you know homer gets it the worst because you see get to see him explode in uh poor fucking homer you were so annoying in, in some things and yeah, you're annoying in most things actually i think in everything <laughs> joshua miller is an actor who I've seen, and I've watched Teen Witch on cable tons. He plays the annoying little brother in that movie. He plays the annoying little brother in Class of 1999, which has Pam Greer with bionic tits in it. Check that movie out, people. 
Mm-hmm. Big. Yes. <laughs> um, man, this is great though. I, I enjoy it. Like I said, it's it's not as fun to me as the Lost Boys, but as a, as a, as a cinematic experience, it's a much better film than the Lost Boys, and I'm I'm gonna leave it at that, right there. Nice, nice, right? We have just one going more... like Jason goes to hell. This is mental, right? When he why does he shave the guy's mustache off when the guy that he's coming from has already got a mustache? Sure. Let's not let's not relitigate this, Andy Blockley. It's an amazing movie. We acknowledge it's an amazing movie. Creighton Duke might be having a spin-off movie if he does. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Oh, watch I was listening to your 1980s show today. I am in love with Doug Tilly now. <laughs> Me and Doug Tilly had a few crosswords before on the 70s yep. thing. Doug Tilly does not like Friday the 13th. Check, neither do I. It's rubbish. Doug Tilly loves Jason Goes to Hell. So do I. It's amazing. And there was a couple of other things as well Doug Tilly said that I just thought, yeah. Maybe you two just got off in the wrong foot. We just got off in the wrong... Then there's not much Jallo going to be talked about, so I reckon we're going to get on like a house on (laughs) You see that? You see that? He might be controversial. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, Right, so we have one movie left to pick. Interestingly enough, Andy Blockley said that you know he would maybe have substituted this one. Um, it was Gary's final pick. It's The Gate, directed by Tibar Sunday, uh, produced by John Ke- John Kemeny, um, written by Michael Nankin. The movie stars Stephen Dorff, Louis Tripp, Christina Denton. Um, the synopsis for this one is. Kids left at home alone accidentally unleash a horde of malevolent demons from a mysterious hole in their suburban backyard. Um, bring us home, Gary. Uh, why the gate? Well, this is first and foremost a vanity pick for one thing because this this is the first horror film I have ever seen. Oh. So the, 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 this is the, the starting point to my poor watching uh, being... I think it's pretty important to talk about, you know, for a lot of the reasons, too. I mean, this is part of the echelon of the heavy metal music will we'll bring apart demons into this world kind of thing, you know? And I, I there's other films that have done it better. I don't know if you ever seen it. No, I'm not going to say Rock Roll Nightmare is better, but that ending is insane. You know? <laughs> John Thor for president. Yeah. <laughs> you could bend steel, literally. But no. The gate is, is great. I, I love I love the kids. Little little Stevie Dorf in here. It, it, it's I was entertained to see him as as this kid, the guy who went on to play in Blade and SFW, which is an underrated film, and oh, Cecil B. Demented. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. And uh, Lewis Tripp. We didn't do much of anything, and in, 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 as far as like film goes, except for the gate, and of course the gate two, which I think is a fair sequel to to this film. Um, he plays the, the great like sidekick friend who knows very little about demonology except we learned from a metal album, you know. But th- th- there you go. And uh, Al, Al, his sister was um, was like my first crush. But this, this is my love for the tomboy came from was Al from uh, from the gate. I think I think it's still a pretty big through line today. But um, the concept is really simple. I mean, they they they. Uh, Meteor crashes into the, their their backyard. I'm guessing opening. I don't really have any bearing on the story, but it's kind of there. Oh, opening a, a, a gate that was already there apparently, and uh, weird stuff starts to happen. And then you you get these little little demons, which you know I think the use they look really great for one thing. The stop motion work 
I mentioned this and we talked about the troll and cat's eye, which had a bigger budget. They had like very little budget for this film. So their use of stop motion and forced perspective still looks really great. Even on the best on Blu-ray, which I own, I, ha I had to have it. I had to have it, man. And, um, it's the conclusions a little wonky, you know, the whole, you know, we need a symbol of, of light and love, which was the, the, the rocket that him and his sister bought together or whatever you want to call it. Um, that creature looks, it looks okay, the final creature. I think the little creatures work a whole lot better than that giant, massive thing. Because when he's, he's, <laughs> he's spinning, throwing Glenn around like all to and fro, it looks really stupid. But it's 1987, so I can't really complain about special effects in that that sense. Because it's probably made on a song, so that's a real small thing for me to complain about. But um, uh, the whole it scared. This is the biggest part that scared me as a child when the parents show up supposedly out, outside the house. But of course, it's fucking hell demons and all. You've been bad thing, <laughs> you know that that simple stupid little thing scared me the most in this film as a child but um I, i'm curious what somebody else has to say about it. i i just dig it but like i said it's, it's a total vanity pick i think it, it it belongs somewhere on this list probably just not in the top 10 so and there was somebody else dunks yeah I'll, I'll quickly swing in I'll, I'll just say a couple of words about it. i got it recently as the as part of the vestron collection Mm -hmm. um, on Blu-ray and um, checked out. I hadn't seen this since I'd only ever seen it once and, and it was as a kid. Um, and going back and watch it, it's goofy, it's fun. Um, I have some issues uh, in here. I don't think the acting's super strong and I no. think the special effects haven't held up all that well. Um, not as bad as I thought they were going to be overall. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fun movie. It's, it's one of those ones where it does really blend. Like, I remember it being, as a kid, a lot scarier. But, you know, that's to be, you know, that's that's going to happen. You grow up and things don't get you as much as they used to. Um, it was it was cool revisiting it. I'm kind of with Andy to an extent. I mean, it, it may not have made the 10 overall. Um, but I'm glad it's here. I'm glad it gave me it because I bought that Blu-ray and I've had it for what, six, seven months and it's been lying there and if this has been the catalyst for me to watch the movie again and kind of recapture a bit of the, the joy of watching the gate, then it's been worth it for that. Andy Blockley, you have the final say. Tell us a little bit about the gate before we go to break. Uh, for me, the gate, and I don't mean this in any way derogatory, but it's <laughs> a really enjoyable kids film and I oh, think because I didn't watch it until like a couple of years ago, when I was like, you know, sort of early to mid thirties, I think I just missed the appreciation boat just because uh, yeah. it's, it, for me, it's a great kids film. I think if I'd have watched this as a kid, I would have absolutely loved it. Um, it is a really enjoyable film. I rewatched it the other week. Rach loves it. Um, Rach is really into this movie because she, because she watched it as a kid. So she yeah. kind of grew up with it. Um, so you can really get on board with that. I mean, I do like the whole thing of the parents are away. It's purely down to the kids. It's kind of home alone sort of thing, isn't it? You know, it's it's a real sort of uh, Home Alone, but with demons instead of burglars. Um, I think a lot of the cast are annoying, but that's just fucking teenage kids. I think they're supposed <laughs> to be. Um, I do like the effects. I think that's pretty cool. I was trying to work out, are those like little men in suits? Because it looked a bit too fluid to be stop motion. It's, you know? it's, it's, like a, it's a mixture of both, I think. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's some guys in suits 
But then like, that's where they use the force perspective to make them look really small. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, it does it does hold it pretty well. But again, it does because practical stuff kind of does, doesn't it? It does age a lot, you know, much better. There's a lot of films on this list that still fucking hold up because of the because of the really good effects. Um. Yeah. I mean, this is just a film that I think if I had like if I had a kid, I wanted to sort of get you know a, a, maybe a twelve year old into horror, maybe a bit younger now. How how young are kids watching horror films these days? I don't know. If, like, would you show a ten-year-old this and they'd laugh at it, or would it still creep them out? I suppose it depends. I, I saw this when I was ten. Yeah, I, I'd say, like you say, if you didn't see it when you were ten, I don't think you'd have the appreciation that I have for it because it, yeah, it is, it is, it is one of those gateway films. Much like a film we rejected for this list, The Monster Squad yep. is one of those gateway films that you know, hey, here's a film to get your kids interested in horror, and then they'll move on to the harder stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think kids are spoiled now as well. There's just so much like special effects laid in garbage. I think kids like I think they like I think they appreciate a different thing now. Like for yeah. me, this is a perfect adventure film. Like as a kid, you can really get into. It. So, oh my god, what would I do if like my parents were away and you know these demons came into my house? And now you just everything's just fucking superheroes and Thor and CGI monsters, and it's just uh, I don't know. It's, just, it's I, th- I think it's almost a shame now that kids can't appreciate these kind of films anymore. It's been a day. I think it's good of a you just have to bring them up, right, Andy? That's all it is. You just have to bring them That's up. It. Don't expose them to so much stuff. Yep. Uh, when we were a kid, it was just fucking amazing, wasn't it? It was the you know the box art. Ask, ask me what my daughter was watching when I came up here to start recording. Go on, impress me. Gremlins. Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's. And the she one, asked it? for it. She asked what? for that. I want to watch Gremlins, Dad. So let, let her watch the gate. I want to know her opinion of the gate. This I think she'd. I think she'd it. have a hit. The, the plan was yeah, to try and watch it together, but she was out um, when I when I watched it. But yeah, she's. You know, what I mean, you just need to hit it right, um, and, and and kids kids can appreciate anything. Um, even even now? with the uh, winters four and a half. Oh man, and she's loving Gremlins already. Yeah. See, so you are doing a good job, sir. Yeah. Top notch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gents, we did 10 movie reviews. Believe it or not, we have done 10 movie reviews. The 10 that we covered were... You ready for this? It was Predator, Stage Fright, Near Dark, The Gate, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, fuck. The Tree Warriors! The Lost Boys, (laughs) Evil Dead 2, Opera, Hellraiser and Prince of Darkness. We are taking a short break just now when we return. 10 become 2. It's decision-making time. Myself, Gary Hill and Andy Blockley are coming right back right after this. You're travelling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop... The Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch versus the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Witch versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break. And welcome back. So, if you survived our reviews, you know that we reviewed Predator, Stage Fright, Near Dark, The Gate, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and someone else that... Anyone? 
No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the Dream Warriors. Right, can we do like a director's cut of this episode with all yeah. that snips out? Just all of that as one episode. I like that idea, Andy. That's on loop. Is you ring yeah, on <laughs> The Lost Boys, Evil Dead 2, Opera, Hellraiser, and Prince of Darkness. You know what we're going to do now, ladies and gents. We're going we're gonna to try and make a list of two out of this list of ten. Each of us get to initially put forward one that we think can be removed at this point. As long as no one objects at this stage, i.e. doesn't think it's a top five movie, then it can be removed. Once we've removed five, we will then put forward a movie we think together, collectively, can go through. If we can't agree to that at that point, and one definitely does go through, that leaves us four, and we will whittle down that four to a remaining one which will join it. Um, I will kick us off, just because I get a feeling that it's not making its way through, and I ultimately said it myself, it was vanity that put on the list. I'm suggesting that we remove opera at this stage. Does anyone disagree Andy Blockley ding top answer <laughs> and Gary Hill uh yeah for what we have yeah it can go nice nice right let's swing it out to Andy Blockley you get a choice sir what is what is your pick to be removed from the list right uh, let's see I'd like to get rid of Evil Dead 2 that is fucking insane that's top five on my list, so I'm saying no. <laughs> that's, that is insane, Andy Blockley. Yeah, but it might be top five, but we're only putting two through, aren't we? So Yes, but that's not the first part. The first part is creating a list of top five. So. Oh, sorry. I'm confused. I didn't realise. <laughs> <laughs> Google Hangouts, Andy. It's Google Hangouts. I'm going to... Uh, no, I I, uh, I do maintain Evil Dead. I, it's not in my top five, so I don't know. I guess Gary Hill, is it in your top five? Um... Let me let me double check that real fast. I know we, yeah. we're doing this. And we're doing and it I, live, people. Yeah, and I, I would also say, do you want to be part of a horror podcast that mo- takes out Evil Dead Two as its second pick? <laughs> Seems <sighs> a bit fucking nuts, Andy Blockley. Yeah, I I I, I, I tell him to pick another one just because. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Well, what are you doing to me here? I just I tell him to pick another one because I, I don't think it's it's quite it might it might not make the top five. Um, oh dear God! <laughs> if you don't think it's making the top five, then you can suggest it comes out right now. This is this is a tough decision, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be top five. So I'm I'm gonna be with Blackley. Get, get rid of it, I guess. You know. Oh, you guys suck so much, Dak, right now. Really. <laughs> Really? You, you... <laughs> let me <laughs> let me look Holy again. Because if I say if I say stage fright, you guys are gonna be upset. But uh, you know, um... stage fright's not in the top five for me. So <laughs> I know it is for Andy, but yeah. right. So okay, right. I I I will accommodate this. It's not in my top two. But I just want I just want to say I want you both to take a long fucking hard look at yourselves in the mirror. And listeners out there, note that I defended it and these these two motherfuckers got rid of Evil Dead as the second pick to go out. That is insane. Gary Hill, you're up next. 
I, I didn't say it, but I'm usually let women tell me what to do. And, and Jamie Salmon's hates this movie, too. You know, she hates it to death. So I let them influence me sometimes. But my pick is a pick that, you know, my, my, my last one I talked about is if, if I chose Blood Diner, this would have been a much harder decision. But uh, <laughs> I chose The Gate. And The Gate, although it is a great wave film, I recommend you show it to all your children. And hopefully they'll, they'll dive into the genre like fucking Jaws diving into Quint at the end of that movie. Uh, I kick off the gate because I don't think it belongs in the top five, although I do really do enjoy it. And, you know, by the way, all you folks that are bitching about that Blood Feast re- remake, watch the original Blood Feast. It's not that great of a movie. I've, I st- think I've Blood- still watched it. I've still watched the remake. I've heard it's now available on Prime, is it? So I will yeah, check it out, yeah. but I've still to see it. So, yeah, Blood, Diners, Blood-, Blood Diner is the superior Blood Feast. There you go. Enough. I, yeah. I don't know. Me and Andy Blockley kind of love that movie. Yes. Not one clue. <laughs> uncanny. Uh, right. Speaking of things that are uncanny, um, Andy, do you agree the gate can come off just now? Yeah. Right. I also agree, which means it's back to me. Um, and I'm going to break some hearts right now. I'm going to break them hearts. Break them. Um, I'm going to say Prince of Darkness off the list at this stage. I would not take it off the list at this point. <gasps> Oh, right. Um, what about yourself, uh, Gary Hill? Are you, are you pro Blockley or pro McLeish? Let's see. For what's left, um, shit. Let's see. The inside decision. Um, yeah, it can go. It can go for sure. Is this a really contentious one for you, Andy? Or can it really you is. Let it go, no, Andy? if I'm outvoted on that, that's fine. Are you sure? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if, if we can't even agree it's in the top five, it's not going to get any further, so yeah, we'll lose it. Right, that's, that's one gone, right, and uh, which means, Andy Blockley, you have the final say before we go to our next, um, our next round. Uh, I didn't want to do this, but I'm ready to. I will agree. I will agree with that. Um, Predator, like I said before, I think it's a fucking great film. You're not going to get any Predator hate from here. Uh, remember when I was telling you before, if I had like a bunch of Blu-rays out in front of me and someone said, right, we're going to watch a horror movie, pick up one of these movies, Predator would be the final pick. Um, yeah. So, And that's nothing against the movie. The movie's great. It's just that's how I see it. Uh, Gary Hill, you were kind of... Earlier on... It's going because, you know, there's very little aspects of it that make it a horror film. Not that it's not a great film, but uh, as far as horror goes, it's out of the top five. I respect respect Andy for for making that decision. There we go. Felony Sword. Right. So, we are left with five movies, folks. We have Stage Fright, Near Dark, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, The Dream Warriors, uh, The Lost Boys, and Hellraiser Left. Does anyone feel bold enough at this stage to suggest a movie that they think all three of us will universally agree should go through to the next round? I would like to pose Nightmare on Elm Street 3 to go at this point. Through? Like, to the end? No, no, get drop it off. Oh, right, that's not what I asked, but I would not disagree with that. I don't know why why I'm struggling so much with this, I can't... You, but basically, what basically what I asked was someone to suggest a movie that they think should go through now. Should go through. So what's the start again? 
<laughs> Andy Blotley, I love you so much. I haven't uh, been drinking, I swear. <laughs> so, stage fright, it's near dark. Like 30 <laughs> degrees, I think my brain yeah, that's Yeah, that's not, that's not my bag, baby. Uh, stage fright, near dark, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I'm not doing it. The Lost Boys and Hellraiser. I'm looking for a movie that can go through, but I will also agree at this stage I could happily knock out Dream Warriors if you wanted. Yeah, I mean, let's put Near Dark 3, shall we? Uh, you have 100% agreement from me. I think Near Dark is a movie to go through. Gary, what about yourself? Are you... You can say no at this stage if you want further mm. further movies to come out to see. But yeah, I think me and Andy are in like 100% simpatico on this one, Near Dark. It's, it's, it's in my top two. So yeah, I'd say nice. Near Dark is going. Yeah. Yeah, woo! I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about the other one, you know, because I don't have a number one and number two. I just have two loves from this list that I think should go through. So, right, I can't call them one over the other. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. We we could just try and eliminate another one, or we could just put our cards down on the table. What do we think? Right. Well, I'm, we... gonna, I'm, I'm gonna throw my dick on the table and say get rid of stage fright because amongst the ones that are left, we can go somewhere else. You know. What's your view on that, Andy? <laughs> the, I'd, uh, as a horror film, I, I would lose Nightmare on Elm Street before I got rid of Stage Fright, personally. As a, if we're purely down to horror now, like, I know obviously everything's horror, but if we're down to real, like, what do you consider as the best two, you know, full-on horror experiences? Um, I think Stage Fright's a better horror movie than Nightmare on Elm Street. But, obviously... That's just my opinion. Um, I have no horse in this one at all, uh, gents. I will put my cards down on the table right now. My top two picks for this year, surprising no one, are Near Dark and Hellraiser. Um, and I literally don't think you can argue against that. I think I think those are flawless. That, that, that's, real, that's really mine too. It could Because if you talk about you know icons coming out of the gate, I mean, don't, don't get no higher than Pinhead. I know he has very great diminishing value as this film <laughs> on. Quickly, I'd say by like third, it's not his fault that third movie. I mean, he did great stuff <laughs> in that third movie. I, I think that that part where he's on the altar doing the, you know, this is my body thing, is still one of the best things that ever happened in any Hellraiser movie. But CD Head is just a stupid fucking thing that I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, but that's another movie. But, yes. um, but right out of the gate, you know, when he hits the screen, pretty awesome. Where, whereas in Nightmare on Elm Street, the original one, you got wiggle arms and, you know, ripping the face off. And I know it was meant to scare somebody, but yeah. As far as a, deb a strong debut goes, uh, Hellraiser is, is the better champion and the, the better film uh, than, than Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Nice, nice, nice. Andy Blockley, is that what you had as your top two or did you have stage fright as two? It's difficult. I mean, what I'm going to have to boil it down to now is which film holds up if you watch it today. Yeah. Because obviously, like, everything that appeared in the top ten, I think, maybe maybe the top eight or seven, but, yeah, probably the top ten of the 70s, are films that you can put on today. And although mm -hmm. you know you're watching a film from the 70s, there's nothing that ages it in where, you know, like it's not, oh, it's a bit cheesy. This is wrong. I wish they'd done that better. They're all films that are solid 40 years later. Obviously, now we're looking at films that are 30 years old. Near Dark, I think you can put on today 
watch it for the first time and it's yeah. a really proper solid solid movie i don't think you can say the same thing about stage fright there's too much kind of wrong with it so as much as it would have been amusing to make this really fucking difficult <laughs> i think we uh i think we all kind of unanimously agree that it's hellraiser and near dark first show that i've done where my two picks well, out with the very first recording, where my two pick, well, actually the first two recordings. Uh, this is the first one in five recordings where my two picks go through. I'm over the moon. Yeah, so yeah, represent- you, you didn't put you didn't put no guinea picks for this time. That's all that was, you know. This is true. This is true. This is true. I'm so you let, happy you let, right you, let, you left the day goes out. And you got your two picks. Yeah, that worked out real well for you. Yeah, it did. It yeah. did. I'm, I'm so happy right now. Entering smug saying, mode. Why scary using all these Italian slurs? Well, my grandmother was 100% Sicilian, so let me tell you, yeah. that's that's our word, okay? Come on now. You, know, like you, you can use it. Me, me and Andy can't <laughs> use it. Uh, we can't use it. Uh, right, so, uh, in a shocking turn of affairs, no shock at all for me, it's only joy, pure joy, represent 1987 going forward to the final list, uh, will be Near Dark, and Hellraiser. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right. Duncan's, Duncan's nipples are just hard as hell right now, just they thinking about really this. They really are, they could cut glass. Um, so yeah, so I'm over the moon, everyone else is over the moon. Uh, Andy did the right thing, he didn't drag out the controversy. And people all. say I'm contrary. Yeah, there you go, they don't know anything. They don't, I, I think you and Doug are just gonna have this bromance forever now after your mutual love of of uh, Jason Goes to Hell and I'm with you on that one I can't wait to do I hope we all all three of us land that year next year because um, that's just oh, going to be the greatest <laughs> it has to go through it it'll just it'll destroy the horror community and my cred as a horror podcaster uh, right this is the bit where I say thank you very much to my guests for joining me Gary if you wouldn't mind just letting the peeps out there know where they can check out your shows you can find my videos on Pornhub.com, but those get really weird. <laughs> but you can find the podcasts I do, Sunday Podcasts with uh, sometimes Jamie, sometimes Iris, and most of the time Suzanne, on LegionPodcast.com, as well as Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Um, Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel podcast, is still securely placed on the Horophilia Network. Go look for that, or our back catalog and the new stuff. It's, it's, it's all there. You just... Uh, We've been away for a while, but we're we're coming back with a vengeance, I think. So, check us out, please. Nice, nice, uh, Andy Blockley. You're currently not podcasting, however. I'm just a whore that just goes around guesting on other people's shows. And I love it. I love it when you appear just like randomly on a podcast. But I love it more when you spend time under the stairs. That's my favourite. Um, much love for you, man. And we will be maybe. Uh, on the next recording spilling a bit more details about the potential return of something later on this year that will destroy the internet and potentially ourselves so yeah i'm looking forward to that um but like i say thank you very much to my guests for joining me this is the final break of the show when i come back i'm closing out i'm doing it right after this You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 155. Looking at 1987 as part of the summer teapots top 10 series. Ooh, ooh, what a doozy that was. Moving forward, representing this year is a little near dark and some motherfucking Hellraiser. 
Duncan is very happy about this. Those were his two picks. This out with 1980 is the only year that I've had both my picks moving on. I'm a happy guy. Not gonna lie, I'm a happy, happy, happy camper. Coming up on the next episode, a week today, uh, will be 1988. I'll have guests with me in the form of Ricky Morgan and Mark Ball. The list of movies, it just gets harder as we move along. Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th Part 7, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellraiser 2, Black Roses and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That is Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th Part 7, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellraiser 2, Black Roses and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. All coming up on the next Summer Teapot's Top 10 episode, which drops in a week's time in 1988. Oh, Ricky Morgan and Mark Ball. There is a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I say check us out on Apple Podcasts. Come across, subscribe to the feed, that way you get the episodes as and when they drop, and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapot's content. But don't stop there. Leave us a rating and a review. Ratings, super important. The more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts we are pushed. So if it's five stars, the more of them we get, the more likely it is that people will see us in their searches. Also leave us a review. It's your words to new listeners' eyes as to why they should check out what we do. You are not unique. I'm sorry to be the one that burst that bubble for you. You're not unique. There's plenty of people out there that have the same sense of humour, like the same shit that you do. So by you writing down why you like this show, there's a very good chance they'll come across and become a new friend of the podcast under the stairs. You can do a little bit of word of mouth. I love word of mouth. Just get out there and tell people. Tell your friends, your neighbours, your enemies, your co-workers, your frenemies, your exes. Tell your tattoo artist. I've done this one before. I'm going to do it again. It's super important. You spend a lot of time with your tattoo artist. A lot of intimate time as he inflicts pain on you with a, a needle. You listen to music in the background. Some of them have great musical tastes. Most of them do not. So while you're getting tattooed next time, lean forward and whisper in their ear. Let's listen to some podcasts under the stairs. That, ladies and gents, is how you do word of mouth. Listen to the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play and the TuneIn app. Visit our website, it's tputzcast.com You can click the merch tab there or come across to our merch page directly it's tputzcast.bigcartel.com You can also visit our Facebook pages That's right, we are on our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast The group page is where the community interacts It's a ton of fun, we have so much fun talking about the shows Movies people are watching, what we're looking forward to, polls, memes, you name it, it's all over there waiting for you to join. Also join our Facebook page though, that's facebook.com forward slash cast. That's where the live streams happen, that's where we post things from Instagram. We get to interact with us on Thursday Thursdays, see the Instagram posts as well as new merch as and when that drops all over on the Facebook page. Interact with the bars and the twin prongs, the social media sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at TeaputsCast. Remember and get your Last House on the Left reviews in for Wednesday ahead of Thursday's movie club. You need to do it or I'm not going to do it again. If I only have three reviews, what's the point, ladies and gents? Let's make this the fun community I know we are. Then on Friday, it is our anniversary. Five years of podcasting. Woo! Five hours of podcast. Uh, yeah that'll be dropping this Friday and then on Sunday it's the next instalment of Baz v Horror Baz closing out the wrong turn franchise I will take my leave of you just now you have hours and hours and hours of podcasts coming this week and um, 
not enough time to listen to it and that is my fault I do apologise so wherever you are whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of hours please take care of yourselves out there this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off Child